for a while. The late great Warren Zevon, keep me in your heart for a while. A lot in that open, a lot of stuff going on here in New York City, from these low-life pro-Palestinians to the eviction notices for these migrants, 60-day eviction notices to Donald Trump in court today, Michigan winning the NCAA football championship. But the very end of that open, you heard me talking to former chief of police, Joe Esposito. Hence, Warren Zevon, keep me in your heart for a while. Joe is a, uh, a very, very, very good friend of mine. He loved this show. I mean, there was a period of time where Joe Esposito texted me every morning for years on this show. When Bernard was here and uh, shortly thereafter. And then Joe suffered a tragic loss a couple of years ago. His beautiful wife, Chris, Christine, died tragically and suddenly. In fact, he had sent me a picture that morning. I'll never forget it. (laughs) And his wife, who was a really pretty lady, was giving her finger to the doctor, basically saying, F you, I'm okay. She was dead an hour later. They didn't know she had an aneurysm. It burst, and she died. And Joe, the last couple of years of his life, was heartbroken. And not long after Chris died, Joe was diagnosed with brain cancer. He went through um, a very difficult time, but he was good. He was doing great. He was texting me again. He was getting involved in civic affairs. He even came on once and said he'd love to work with Mayor Eric Adams, maybe even replace Keyshawn Sewell as the police commissioner. And then... um, I don't have the timeline exactly, but maybe six, eight weeks ago, Joe fell ill again. And I woke up this morning to a bunch of text messages. Um, fell asleep about 9 o'clock last night. And about 10.30, I was asleep. My phone went nuts. And everybody from Joey Nunes to Bo Deedle to Sal Cacaveria to Pat Russo, that my friend Joe Esposito had died. And I know John Katzmatidis loves Joe, too. Everybody in the city, Rudy Giuliani's coming on at 845 this morning. Don't forget, he was the chief for Rudy. He loved him. Bernard Carrick loved him. Bernie really loved him, Carrick. He wanted. He was a guy that said he should be the new police commissioner before they gave it to Eddie Caban. And I remember a couple of years ago when those two officers... God rest their souls, Moya and Rivera, were called to an apartment in Harlem. And uh, the mom called because her son was freaking out. And what that was was the son wanted the police to come because he wanted to kill some cops. That was it. And sure enough, both Moya and Rivera, having no idea, they thought they were stopping some domestic disturbance, walked into this apartment, and this guy just opened fire and killed them both. Both in their 20s, I believe. Horrible. And I was so distraught over it, I didn't know either one of those fine men, God rest their souls, that I felt like I had to go to the funeral, especially because it was at St. Patrick's Cathedral 
which is literally four blocks away from here, walking distance. And I remember the day very, very vividly. There was a light snow falling. It was cold. I just finished my show here. 10 o'clock in the morning, Bernard headed back to Long Island, and I took the four-block walk over to St. Patrick's. And the place was packed. The streets were packed. Police from New Jersey, from Pennsylvania, my friend Louis Spagnola from Patterson. The streets were packed to show their support for these two men. And the church was packed. The mayor, Eric Adams, was there, and Keyshawn Sewell, and the governor, Kathy Hochul, and Chuck Schumer, John Katsimatidis, and others. And I couldn't get in. Yes, folks, now I could. I wasn't as popular then, I guess. But I got in because Joe Esposito made sure he met me at the back door of the church, and he literally escorted me in to the church, and I sat next to Joe for this very emotional service. And I thanked Joe about a thousand times for that. And then there's this Italian restaurant, which is my favorite local restaurant. I've got two Italian restaurants that are local. Michael's in Brooklyn is the best Italian restaurant in New York. I don't want to hear about Rayo's. I don't want to hear about uh, Il Molina. Stop. Michael's is the best. But there are two local places that are great next to me. You two, though. One is Rocco's, my guy's Vinny's, and uh, La Sorrentina, which I go to most often because... It's literally a seven-block walk from my house. And I love Joe, the owner, Joe Mazzola, and I I love his son, Joseph, as well. And they're very close with Esposito. So one night I walk in, and there's a table next to us, me, Danielle, Ava, and Gabe, and it's Monsignor, and I forgot his last name. He's a big deal, like a very, very big deal, like the most popular Monsignor ever. And I forgot his name. I apologize. It's not Jamie. It's the other guy. Patricia, uh, Patricia Domango, who's one of the judges on the show Hot Bench, and Joe Esposito sitting right there. And I had no idea at the time that Esposito and Joe from La Sorrentina were best friends. And he, he goes there all the time, all the time, Joe. And that night they had karaoke or a band. They had a band, you know, a guy. And everybody was dancing in the restaurant like they do often on weekends. And I remember Joe very vividly dancing with Gabriel and Ava, and that was the cut that you played there where I said thank you for dancing and hanging out with the kids. And that was the night. In fact, you can play that again, Lewis. Cut number 16. This, I believe, was the Monday morning after Saturday night when Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Chief of Police, then became just a buddy and was dancing with my kids. Take a listen. I just saw this gentleman at a restaurant in Sorrentina in my neighborhood where he actually danced with my daughter Ava, my son Gabriel. He's such a sweet, sweet man. Suffered his own tragic loss with the untimely death of his wife, Chris, and that is the former chief of police. What a super guy and a friend of me, Joe Esposito. Joe, how are you? Good. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? It was great to see you. You were great to my wife and my kids, and we love you, Joe Esposito. Thank you so much. Let's do it again. Have a great weekend. Eric Adams did put out a tweet about Joe Esposito, and it reads, from the mayor, Joe, and he did love Mayor Eric Adams, Joe, he did. 
Joe Esposito was not only a friend for almost 30 years, but he was the definition of public service. He served his city on our darkest days and brightest moments, climbing the ranks from NYPD officer to chief of department to New York City Emergency Management Commissioner. We're all going to miss Joe Esposito. And with this great show we've got planned for today, including some very, very fine guests, I'm going to dedicate this show on this Tuesday morning to my friend, the former police chief, friend of all New Yorkers, the great Joe Esposito. Joe, I love you, pal. I'm going to miss you. This one today. This one's for you. Doesn't mean I love you any less Keep me in your heart for a while When you get up in the morning And you see that crazy sun Keep me in your heart for a while There's a train leaving nightly called When all is said and done Keep me in your heart for a while Keep me in your heart for a while. Friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Boca Raton singing this song, Public Affair, by Jessica Simpson. They were little kids, you know, and now Ava's heading back to college tonight. This is a tough day for me. I, I don't do well the day when Ava leaves. I just don't do well. So Chief Esposito died last night, and I was already sad about Ava leaving today. So she goes back about 3 o'clock this afternoon, and then my little boy Gaby, I went to watch his high school basketball game yesterday. 
in Harlem, and he's going up too fast. So, but they used to love that that song. That song uh, Danielle would play that car god like ten years ago. And they'd be singing it in the back seat of the car. But that's how life works, I guess. Look, some very nice messages, I guess. You know, he was really loved Esposito. When I say I guess, I know he was. You know, Vin texted me from Rocco's. I think they're moving, Lou, from 116. I don't know where they're going. I know the chef's table's been gone for a while. They moved out to Lindbrook, so that that space is open. But he, he did say thank you. Joe DiGiacomo, he's telling me that uh, Monsignor David Casado, that's the name. Thank you, Joe. Kevin Breslin, dignified. And Joe Borelli, I love Joe Borelli. This guy's a big-time guy. On Staten Island, and he writes, that was a really loving and truly deserved tribute. I mean, everybody in this city knew and uh, and loved Joe Esposito, so I don't think it took a heck of a lot to do what I just did. But, again, we, did, we are dedicating this program today, and it is a big, big show. Now, most mornings, well, every morning, actually, the 7 o'clock guest, most mornings my first guest, but the 7 o'clock guest is Curtis Sliwa. Not today, because Rachel Goldberg is going to call in. And if you've been following this Israel-Hamas war, dating all the way back to October the 7th, and the hostages, I think really two people stand out, one being the young lady Mia Shem, and thank God she's home. She was the first hostage video. And the other, Rachel Goldberg, I think her more than Mia. Her son, Hirsch, had his arm blown off from the elbow down at the Nova Music Festival. He was thrown on a pickup truck by these animals, these savages, these the same people that these assholes block tunnels for in New York City every day. Animals. They're animals there, and they're animals here. They're worse there, of course. But Hirsch has not been seen or heard from since he texted his mother, Rachel, that day. And this is heartbreaking. He said, I love you and I'm sorry. And you say, what are you sorry about? And she's on record a thousand times saying he's sorry because he knew there was going to be pain for his mom and dad and anyone who loved him. And again, he's not been seen or heard from again. So his mom, Rachel Goldberg, will join us coming up at 7 o'clock in Curtis's usual spot. Then we'll talk to Mozzie Pillip. She's the lady that's uh, the Republicans picked, Joe Cairo, Peter King, all of them, to run against Tom Swazi to replace George Santos. She'll join us at 7.45, 8.15, WFAN legend Joe Beningo on the NFL playoffs and the quarterback changes and the future of the Jets with Aaron Rodgers, 845, Mayor Rudy Giuliani. I'm hoping to talk to the chief of transit, my dear friend Michael Kemper, coming up at 915, and Curtis today will do 930. So that's your uh, that's your guest list coming up. Okay, a couple of items I want to get to with Noam. Let me get to my, uh, my guy Trump with Iowa now just five days away. He's going to be in court today watching those uh, appeal hearings. I guess this is the Georgia case. Is that right? So he's in court in D.C. today. Is that right, Noam? That's right. 
And, uh, but the, all eyes are really today on this, uh, Fulton County District Attorney, Fannie Willis. Have you heard about this, uh, story? I that did. Broke I actually, uh, yeah, I asked you about it. And of course, anytime I ask you about a story, you know about it, which is a testament to what a great job you do. But it turns out the rumors, or, or I guess the, the scuttlebug on the street is this, this, uh, Fulton County DA, Fannie Willis, has uh, at one point banged the prosecutor, the special prosecutor, going after Donald Trump. That is a that is a huge conflict if that, in fact, is the case. Yeah, look, this potentially is catastrophic for their case if this is true. This is the story is that Fannie Willis um, had uh, an affair or rom- romantic relationship with Nathan Wade. Now, Nathan Wade was the one she hired as a special prosecutor for the proceedings in this case. So if it's true, this claim was made by... Michael Roman, he's one of Trump's co-defendants in this case. If it's true, you think this case potentially could go away. Last night, uh, Donald Trump was on Truth Social saying this should be the end of the case if this is true. Uh, he said all charges against me and others should be immediately dropped with apologies and monetary damages for the uh, political persecution of innocent people. No word yet from Fannie Willis. Nothing said whether there's any truth to this story, but the allegation is out there this morning. Wow, that is uh, that's a big one. You know, Steve Bannon felt like he broke a big one here. No, he didn't break it, but he really thought the Lloyd Austin disappearing for five days, turns out he may have spent as many as three days in ICU, is enough to get uh, him and Joe Biden in trouble because when you have that uh, very, very lofty position, you just can't do that, can't do it. And he really thought that would be a huge issue for the Biden. So if he's right between the Lloyd Austin story for the Biden, which I believe will go nowhere, goes nowhere, and this one now with Fannie Willis, this could be a good couple of days right before Iowa for President Trump, yes? Yeah, I mean, you can't get your head around why they didn't tell the president that he was in the hospital. I mean, this is a bizarre story, trying to figure out exactly what was going on, why it was being hidden from the president, or is it possible the president knew and didn't say anything about it during that press conference? Bizarre story that just has not been sorted out at all. No, not at all. They did ask John Kirby yesterday. If uh, Secretary Austin will be fired, and then they asked that moron Corrine Jean-Pierre if the president still has confidence in Austin. Let's go to what John Kirby first, Lewis Kirby, cut number 14. There are some calls for him to be fired. Is that something that the president is wanting or considering doing? The president's number one focus is on his health and recovery, and he looks Shut forward up. to having him back uh, at the Pentagon as soon as possible. Uh, uh, president... <laughs> Uh, respect uh, the fact that uh, Secretary Austin took ownership for the lack of transparency. He also respects the amazing job he's done as defense secretary. T- terrible now job. Now he's handled multiple crises over the last almost three I years. I shut this now. guy up. He's a moron. He goes, a bunch of ums, 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 and tries to convince us that Lloyd Austin's done a great job. He's done a horrendous job. Him and that idiot, Millie, dating back to what, 13 soldiers getting murdered in Afghanistan. Make, let me make it very clear. To John Kirby and everybody else, even you Democrats that may be listening, because some of you, like Kevin Breslin, do. There is nobody, nobody in the Biden administration, from Joe himself to his dopey vice president, black female, I don't care, she's a moron, to Millie, to Austin, to certainly the Secretary of State, Blinken, there is nobody in the Biden administration, who's done a good job. Not one person. Nobody. You understand that? 
Here's no. a... No. I know you don't. Well, this lady certainly doesn't. It's another moron, Corrine Jean-Pierre, cut number 15. Should the American people have confidence in Austin given his lack of transparency? And then also, do the American people need to be concerned about a lack of transparency for the president given this lapse? So I want to go back to Austin's statement so, um, a couple of days ago where he has um, taken responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's important. So I would point you to that. And I will just reiterate that the president uh, has complete confidence, continues to have confidence in Secretary, uh, in Secretary Austin. And, and um, as the admiral just stated, I, I think the number one thing right now is for him. Sure. Uh, we want to see him back at the Pentagon. Right. Well, and back at the sure. Pentagon. Listen, shut uh, shut up. God, shut president. up. My God, are you stupid? She did that thing where so, she started with. So, so. Yeah, I know I heard it. That's the crutch. Yeah. So, so. So. I, right. Just answer the second. question, you dope. Just give me a, a couple of seconds and I make something up. Joe Biden doesn't care about Lloyd Austin. He doesn't care about anything. He cares about, well, two things right now. Gets his ice cream on time at 4.30. He likes uh, chocolate ice cream. Rocky Road, Jack. <laughs> and Trump, he, he's got he's to find a way, no matter where he is. Yesterday, he was campaigning in South Carolina. You know, if you're keeping score at home, that is state number three. You go to... The caucus in Iowa first, then you go to New Hampshire, then it's South Carolina, you know, Super Tuesday, the whole thing. He's at a church in South Carolina yesterday, and he finds a way to malign my friend President Trump. First, he talks about me and you and all of you listening out there. If you like Trump, you're part of this dangerous MAGA movement that is trying to destroy the history of this country. Joe Biden, Lewis. Once again, at a church in South Carolina, cut number 12. An extreme movement of America, the MAGA Republicans, led by a defeated president, is trying to steal history now. They tried to steal an election. Now they're trying to steal history. <laughs> telling us that violent mob was, and I quote, a peaceful protest. What's that? That that insurrection. No, it wasn't stupid. Were, no. his words, patriots. No, it wasn't insurrection. That there was, quote, a lot of love that day. What's that? In fact, the rest of the nation and the world mm. saw a lot of hate and violence. Yeah, we saw a lot of that. Thank God we didn't see that during the summer of 2020 when you encouraged and allowed people to set police stations on fire and beat up people in the streets and spit on cops. Thank God we didn't see that, Joe, or your dopey vice president bailing these people, these animals, out of jail. Thank God we didn't see that. He also went on to call my friend Trump a loser. I swear to God, Joe Biden, that's kind of like O.J. Simpson calling Robert Blake a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Are you nuts? Where'd you put the body? Uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> Here's Joe Biden, cut number 13. I wouldn't have put it there. Those pushing the big lie have a conspiracy theory among conspiracy theories that outweighs them all. That there's what... And, and, but What's here's that? the fact. I'll say that again. There's where we don't have... Facts, Such a their fine whole speaker. theory, has no facts, has know. no proof, has no evidence. Huh? That's why time and again they lost in every court of law that challenged the results. Sixty losses in courts mm -hmm. of America. Mendes. There's one thing they don't have. What? They don't have respect for the 81 million people who voted the other way. Right. Voted for my candidacy. <laughs> and voted to end the presidency. In their world, these Americans, including you, don't count. 
But that's not the real world. That's not democracy. That's what? not America. In America, democracy. we all count. In America, we witness to serve all those who, in fact, what? participate. And losers are taught to concede. When Such a lose. fine speaker. And he's a loser. He's a loser. Oh, there you have it. Joe Biden calling Trump a loser. Uh, it is democracy. 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 Yeah. The word was democracy. He came close. Uh, traffic is coming up next with the man, Joe Nolan. And again, don't forget, uh, Rachel Goldberg set to join us live from Israel coming up just after Nolan with the news at seven. Right now it is time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Get the whole story in under 10 New York minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Get the max out of mini. Today's minicast is uh, my guy, John Katzmatidis and Rita Cosby, Katz and Cosby. Here, John and Rita talk with Riley Gaines, I like her, Riley Gaines, about defending women in sports. How is this fair to women? <laughs> well, to answer your question, it's not fair. Uh, but you know what? I, I I don't think this is shocking. This is the exact trajectory of where uh, I know at least myself and so many others have been warning that we're headed in. Uh, you know, you have to wonder when will their eyes open? Will it take a woman being fatally injured uh, before these people who created these policies and these guidelines, the people sitting on the board of USA Boxing? Is that what it's going to take? This is Sid on Sports. Oh Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTechlist.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers on the gridiron at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas last night. Blake Corum ran for 134 yards and two fourth quarter touchdowns as Jim Harbaugh, number one Michigan, undeterred by suspensions and a sign-stealing case which shadowed the program this season, completed a three-year climb to a national championship by beating number two Washington 34-13 last night in the college football playoff title game. The Wolverines sealed their first national title since 1997 when Corum, who scored the winning touchdown in overtime to beat Alabama in the Rose Bowl semifinal, blasted in from the one-yard line with three and a half minutes left to put Michigan up by 21 and all but seal the victory. After nine seasons of coaching his alma mater and in his third consecutive playoff appearance, Harbaugh delivered the title so many expected when he took over a struggling powerhouse in 2015. Uh, Michigan able to slow down Washington quarterback, superstar quarterback, I guess you could say, Michael Penix Jr. in the Huskies' prolific passing game to just one touchdown while intercepting the Heisman Trophy runner-up twice. Penix's remarkable six-year college career ended with maybe his worst performance of the season. Usually he's unfazed by uh, the pressure he was seeing last night, the type of pressure he was seeing last night, but not nearly as precise as he usually is against the Michigan defense that took away his signature deep throws. He finished 27 for 51 for 255 yards and a touchdown. So Michigan, the Michigan Wolverines, take the 2023-2024 College Football National Championship. On the ice at the Garden here locally, the Rangers return to action only to get doubled up by the Vancouver Canucks 6-3. to Tonight it will be the Islanders' turn to take a swipe at the uh, Canucks. That puck will drop at 7.30 p.m. tonight in Elmont and in the NBA. No local action last night, but the Knicks will be back at it tonight for a 7.30 p.m. tip-off at the Garden against the Portland Trail Blazers. That's sports. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. I'm Justin Alec on 77 WABC. 
77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. My name is Rachel, and I am Hirsch Goldberg, Poland's mother. I'm a mom, too. On the 7th of October, my son Hirsch was celebrating his 23rd birthday at the Nova Music Festival. The eyewitnesses who were peeking out from underneath the dead bodies told us that his left arm had been blown off from the elbow down. They were put on a Hamas pickup truck and headed off to the direction of Gaza. It's been living a slow motion, unfolding nightmare since that time. Having this piece of my soul missing and not knowing has been excruciating. Before I had Hirsch, I was a person, I was a woman, but after I had Hirsch, I was a mother. And that changed my whole way of relating to everything in the universe. Because we know what it means to have life grow inside of us. I think that things would be different if there were more mothers involved in decision-making processes. I would just say that if somehow, some way, Hirsch can hear me, I love you, stay strong, survive, and we're coming. there she went from a human being i was a woman i was a human being to a mother and that changes everything she set to join me coming up live from israel in about 15 minutes rachel goldberg her son hirsch taken on october the 7th and after a text 
on the way back to Gaza where he texted his mother, I love you, I'm sorry. He has not been heard from again. We'll talk to Rachel again coming up in a very emotional first hour. I just got a message from my friend Paul DiGiacomo, who, of course, is the head of the DEA. And he said, I don't know if you heard, but Joe Esposito died last night. And, of course, um, the whole first segment of today's show, the first 20 minutes, was all about Joe Esposito. And I dedicated today's program to my friend Joe and uh, told the story of how we became friendly and some of his interactions with me and my family and when he invited me to sit with him and got me into St. Patrick's Cathedral. Otherwise, I could not get in for the Moya Rivera funeral. And now, sadly, I'll be going to his funeral, which I'm awaiting the details on. I will be there. I will be there. If I have to leave this show early one day, I will. He was just a great man. And I've heard from so many people in this city. Rudy Giuliani set to join me at 845. He loved Joe Esposito. So we'll talk a lot about Joe today. And then, of course, we're going to talk to Rachel Goldberg coming up at 7. And she hasn't seen or heard from her son in basically three months. It's a rough Tuesday, Lewis. And then, like I said, my daughter Ava, not nearly as tragic as somebody dying or being taken hostage, but my daughter Ava goes back to college today, and I hate that day. I hate it. I heard all this stuff right before 5, and I said, I think we're ready to go back home. Yeah, yeah. you this knew is, it was going to be a rough one, right? <laughs> It'll wow. be a rough day. Yeah. I mean, Beningo will come on at 8.15 and yell and scream about the Jets and the NFL playoffs and all that nonsense. You could have monuments falling all around him, <laughs> and he's still going to be, listen, with the 10th pick, this is what they've got. I mean, but, I don't want to hear about any safeties coming in. But, you know, he has changed in that. The Joe Beningo that comes on this show now, not the Joe Beningo that does Mondays with Evan and Tiki on the fan, but the Joe Beningo that comes on this show now is even more enthusiastic about the potential return of Donald Trump than he is the Jets going back to a Super Bowl. Oh, He's admitted. Crazy. He said, I'd rather have Trump win than the Jets. Yeah, that's a, well, that was a tough call for him. I'm I sure. know. <laughs> so He's a little bit of a different guy. Since Trump came All along. Right. I'm not going to try to get greedy, bro. So <laughs> yeah. let me choose in the right manner. I'll take Trump. We've well, got to get going. And I keep telling him we're going to win, you know. I mean, that's that's the question people ask me most. I, I, I would have spoke about this. For years, the question people asked me most in public was, is Imus really that big of a douchebag? And the answer was yes. Yeah, same thing about Francesca other folks, you know. But today's question is, oh, my God, Sid, I love you. Please tell me Trump's going to win. Like, I know, you know, of course. <laughs> but I do think he's going to win. There's only one person that keeps me up at night. And I don't care how many of you think he does. You're wrong. Michelle Obama would beat Donald Trump today. She'd beat him. I don't care whether you think she's a racist. I do. Whether you dislike her. I do. Doesn't matter. She is a cult figure. So is Trump, don't get me wrong, but Obama beats him today, Michelle. And she was on some podcast yesterday talking about what keeps her up at night. <laughs> Keeping me up at night is the potential she runs against Trump. She's actually terrified of the whole election, which is bad. Because if she comes out and says, I'm terrified, then maybe just maybe Barack and the rest of these Dems can convince her to run. So I don't like 
Michelle Obama talking about this election on podcasts, on TV, anywhere. Just stay home. Don't worry about it. You guys are making hundreds of millions of dollars. Stay out of it. As soon as she starts to talk, I get a little nauseous. This is some podcast Michelle Obama was on recently. Lewis, this is cut number 20. What keeps me up are the things that I know. Mm -hmm. Um, The war in the region, in too many regions. What is AI going to do for us? The environment, you know, are we moving at all fast enough? What are we doing about education? Mm. Are people going to vote? And why aren't people voting? Are we too stuck to our phones? I mean, those are yeah. the things that yeah. keep me up because you you don't have control over them. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, where are people, where are we in this? You know, where are our hearts? What's going to happen in this next election? I am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter. Who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit. It affects us in ways that sometimes I think people take for granted. You know, the fact that people think that government, eh, you know, it's, is it, does it really even do anything? And I'm like, oh, my God, does government do everything for us? And we cannot take this democracy for granted. And sometimes I, I worry that we do. Those are the things mm. that keep me up. Well, you keep me up, so that's Michelle Obama on a recent podcast. What keeps me up at night? She didn't say Barack. (laughs) (laughs) Telling bro. All right, big guest list about to come your way once again, live to Israel. Gonna talk to Rachel Goldberg. That is not going to be easy. Mozzie Pillow, Joe Beningo, Curtis Sliwa, Kaz Daughtry, Rudy Giuliani more. Happy birthday, Jimmy Page. Stairway to heaven, Led Zeppelin.
This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. From my friends. 77 WABC. Great album. So this is Mercy Street by the great Peter Gabriel. Seven thirteen on your Tuesday morning here in New York City as we brace for the rain. You know we're coming up, folks. About a week away from a hundred days since the day that changed my life and so many others. But while that day, October the seventh, certainly did change my life, it didn't change it as drastically as others who are experiencing. Personal issues. And I remember putting on Fox News, maybe the Sunday, the day after the 8th. It may have been the week after. I don't remember exactly, but it was Rachel Campos and Hegseth and the rest of them. And they were talking to a lady. Her name is Rachel Goldberg. And her son, Hirsch, was taken from the Nova Music Festival. And she was talking about how his arm was blown off underneath the elbow, and he had texted her. And I just, I mean, she's going to come on now and tell you about it. But I was struck by her courage. I played her Instagram this morning when she talked about how she was a person, a, a woman. And then she became a mother. My wife of 30-plus uh, years, Danielle, is a mother, too, and my daughter Ava's flying back to college to Europe today, which is eating me up. And my son's in high school, and I'm having difficulty with that. I couldn't even imagine what this woman is going through. But she has become the face, I believe, of courage, and resilience, hope, and strength. And with all that said, I am very fortunate to have her on this program this morning. Let's go to live. Let's go live to Israel. That's where Rachel Goldberg is today. Rachel, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning. So uh, that's uh, always the cruelest question anyone can ask me, how I am. Yeah. So I'm exactly how you would think yeah. uh, any mother would be after 95 days of her son being stolen from her, from his life, uh, after being a civilian, just dancing at a music festival, having his arm blown off. So... That's how I'm doing. I'm pretending to be a person, and I'm trying to run to the ends of the earth to save him. That's a good answer. You know, as soon as I asked that question, I wanted to take it back. Um, but it, it did occur to me, Rachel, um, that you're probably experiencing 
two major emotions every day. One is sadness, obviously. You love your son. And the other is anger. Maybe frustration, but I would think anger. Is it fair to say that you run through all those emotions every day? It's actually a really interesting question because something both John, my husband, and I talk about a lot is that we obviously feel a lot of different emotions, mostly anguish, anxiety, despair, uh, fear, horror, trauma, but we don't feel anger. And I'm not sure why. It just hasn't happened. Maybe it will happen. Um, there's no real room for it. And it and I find that anger in general, pre October seventh, um, has never really really been very constructive for me personally. Um, so it's not it's not a go to emotion. And um in this case, for whatever reason it's, uh, you know, we wake up each morning, we realize, uh, and that's after, you know, maybe three, if we're lucky, four hours of sleep because our family doctor prescribed us, you know, like horse pills in order to sure. knock us out yeah. so that we could get a few hours of some sort of sleep. But the psyche doesn't let you go real deep when you're in a trauma. So, uh, but we get up and instantly say, okay, we failed because you know, we worked 18 or 20 hours yesterday, but he's still not home. They're still not home. Mm-hmm. You know, there are 136 hostages, still six American hostages. Hirsch is one of the American hostages, uh, you know, um, and we start again and mm-hmm. we start, you know, we're we're running a marathon in a sprint. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. constantly it's a very primal, innate, maternal and paternal drive that keeps us running as fast as we can to the ends of the earth. We'll talk to anyone. We'll meet with anyone. We've talked to everyone uh, to save his life and to save all their lives. My wife has run 40 marathons. She just ran New York for the sixth time. So when you say running a marathon as if it were a sprint, I don't think people could even appreciate like I can how difficult that is. I think you're a little tough on yourself when you say you wake up uh, every morning and go back to bed 18 hours later and say you failed. I mean, I don't think you failed. You know, unfortunately, Rachel, this is not in your control. It's not in John's control. God bless him. It's not in Hirsch's control. I'm not even sure it's in Netanyahu or Biden's control. When you're dealing with animals like this, and that's what they are, they're animals, hard to say you failed when they have zero regard for human life. Zero. Well, it's uh, you know, it's a tricky situation, certainly. And uh, we do say, you know, we we as the human species have failed these 136 souls who are still there. Maybe we're working towards something. Maybe I shouldn't look at it so much as a definitive fail because everything. Look, we did manage to get over 100 people out 50 plus days ago. We had many mothers and and daughters and aunts and sisters return, Uh, you know, we had a very delicate, fragile um, pause in the fighting that allowed in massive humanitarian aid that was needed. There are hundreds of thousands of Gazan civilians who are suffering. I also say there are 136 civilians in Gaza suffering 
who have had no humanitarian aid given to them, and those would be the hostages because there is no humanitarian aid organization on planet Earth that has gone in to see any of them. So we know that most of them were taken in, you know, in very violent situations. And so they were, they were injured or wounded or left. Obviously, my son, who we have video of his arm having been blown off at the elbow. Um, And so we have very graphic video, uh, visual proof of what happened to Hirsch. And, um, and, you know, it's hard to describe. People say to me all the time, they can't imagine what I'm going through. And I say, oh, I can't imagine what I'm going through. Mm. Um, You know, we're trying desperately. Rachel Goldberg joining us now live from Israel. Again, just one of the most courageous people I've ever spoken to in my life. Part of me feels badly because I think a lot of us here, Rachel, not that we're valuing lives more than others, but uh, we seem pretty dead set on getting the women, children, and girls out, especially the young girls that the assumption is, and it's probably a real assumption, of being raped upwards of 20, 30, who knows how many times a day. And that kind of puts men and boys, like your son, kind of at the back of the line. Maybe that's not how the government is dealing with it, but that's how it feels here. Do you have part of that frustration that, you know, again, the, the girls, the women, the babies, they seem to matter more in these negotiations than, than Hirsch? Well, we really didn't feel that way when that um first agreement was was settled and we were told that Hirsch wasn't going to be part of that uh first cohort of people released and that it was going to be for the women and children and babies. We actually felt very comfortable with that. Look, a life is a life and we celebrated each life as those people came out and at this stage, you know, we had met so many of the 240 hostages families that it was it was the first whisper of hope and happiness that we had had in 50 days at that point you know when we would see someone come out and we would say oh my gosh that's david's wife and mm-hmm. oh you know and it's michael's daughters and you know it was it was a relief or you know so and so's you know, there was this little boy that walked out, you know, with his and he hadn't had his glasses for, you know, an eight year old boy who needs glasses in order to see anything. And he walked out. I mean, it was pure joy. That was that was just celebrating any life walking out. And obviously now, you know, um, we still have there are there are some women still there. There are men there. You know, what also falls off the radar, you know, there are. Muslim Arabs who are being held hostage, who were taken hostage, who are still there. There are Christians there. There are Buddhists there. There are Hindus there. There are people from almost 20 different nations still being held there. This is a global humanitarian catastrophe. This is not, you know, if someone says, oh, I really hate French people, (laughs) and you find out there are 40 French people being held hostage somewhere, and maybe you say, well, I don't really care because I hate French people. I mean, this is a diverse swath of humanity, of representatives of humanity being held against their will, being held captive, including, as uh, I mentioned, six Americans. American people should not be okay with that. Right. Well, in uh, fact, you know that we're coming up on the 100th day. Today is day 95. 
And on Sunday, it's day 100 and something that I don't know if you've seen that I've been wearing masking tape on my chest just above my heart every day with the number of the days since Hirsch was stolen from me and stolen from his life. And so we're asking people um, to be part of this masking tape campaign on Sunday and to wear uh, masking tape with the number 100 written with a black marker above your heart to just join us in solidarity in the pain and anguish that we're going through. Um, So, you know, you could go to the bring Hirsch home, any of the social media channels to get more information on that. That's something I think is really important in terms of solidarity with humanity. I'm going to do that. Rachel Goldberg live from Israel right now on Sunday and post it and send it to you. So you can see that I am absolutely solidarity with you. 100%. And in terms of, um, Americans should be angry. I mean, they are, and and they're angry for all the wrong reasons. I live in New York City where every day there's a different pro-Palestinian march, which is enough to make me nauseous. But they're just stupid. They're ignorant. And I got to tell you, I don't want to make this a political discussion because I saw you on Fox News praising Joe Biden, which you usually don't see, as you know, Rachel. And that's fine because we need Biden's help. I get it. But for me personally, I think Biden and Blinken and the rest of these folks have not done a good job dating back to their days of of dealing with Iran and helping Iran actually build this murderous day. But uh, I know you're set to meet with the Secretary of State later on today. What will that discussion be like? What what does he say? Well, I'm not sure what he's going to say, but, uh, you know, we have felt supported by the U.S. government. We actually just uh, joined Joni Ernst. Senator Joni Ernst was here this week, and we met with her at length. She's been wonderful. We met with uh, Senator Lindsey Graham was here this week. We met with him. Um, We've been meeting with, uh, you know, congressional delegations that have been coming and and have been extremely supportive. Um, So we have really felt the U.S. government's support and their desire to get these hostages home. The problem is, and this is what I will say to Secretary of State Lincoln, Desiring and wanting are wonderful. I need action at this point. We need doing. I don't need any more hugs, and I don't need any more. Well, good. L- l- let me stop you right support. there. L- l- let me stop you right there because I agree with you. And the hugs and kisses are all very, very sweet. But again, they're they're also to a certain extent. Um, I I don't want to say they're not real. They're real, but they mean nothing. So when you say you're tired of that, I want action. If the Secretary of State was to ask you, Mrs. Goldberg, what would you like us to do? What would you recommend the United States and Israelis do to help ensure Hirsch's return? Well, look, we saw 50 days ago the easing of, you know, having a pause, having more humanitarian aid goes in, has humans come out. We saw that before. So I don't know why we can't try to at least replicate that for the next chunk of hostages. Obviously, we live in a neighborhood where there are huge questions going on. And I know that uh, Secretary of State Blinken has a ton on his plate, you know, um, in terms of what's happening with the Houthis in the Red Sea and what's happening with the day after plan of what's Gaza going to be like. And if if Hamas can be, you know, demilitarized enough so that it can't replicate October 7th again, who is going to be in charge of 
Gaza? And do you hold free elections? I mean, I realize that there are a lot of things on everyone's plate. My issue is there is no time left for these 136 innocent souls from all over the world, from five different religions, who, by the way, the youngest one is 11 months old. He's not even one year old yet, Kfir Bibas, who is a British citizen. And the oldest person is a grandpa who's 85. So there's no more time. So I realize there are a lot of priorities. Maybe there are 10 priorities. Right now, everything else should be paused. And the first priority should be human life. Number one, get these hostages out. In the last couple of minutes, and uh, you really are uh, uh, just um, great. You're just great, Rachel Goldberg. You really are. Um, I want to spend time talking about your son. Because That's my favorite he, subject. Well, it is. Because uh, well, the first time I saw you on TV, and I'm sorry I'm getting emotional myself, but the first time I saw you on TV, when you read the text and you read, I love you and I'm sorry, I said, boy, what a wonderful kid. But right now, he's got his arm hair blown off. He's in he's in the custody of these animals. He has no idea what's going to happen next. And he's worried about the pain that his parents and friends and family will be going through over the next period of time. So right then and there, yeah. I said, my God, what a special young man. But for my listeners here in New York that don't know Hirsch Goldberg, who was he? Well, Hirsch is a very curious, deeply respectful, very funny, funny, like with a dry, sarcastic sense of humor, but he never falls over the line of being mean, which is pretty hard when you're being sarcastic to be able to balance it in a funny, dry way without going over to be mean. He is wild about soccer. He loves music festivals. He had just returned from nine weeks of trekking around Europe by himself. He went to six different music festivals in six different countries. He met people from all over the world. He has very little ego. He's a great listener. So he loves to ask really hard questions and then give you the space and room to really push yourself to answer. And uh, he is crazy about travel. He actually had a ticket booked for December 27th, two days after Christmas. He was leaving to go to India and start traveling the world for at least one year, maybe two. That He's been saving money for that his whole life since first grade. His first grade teacher was this amazing Irish Catholic woman, Mrs. Carlton, who planted the seed of loving geography and travel in him. And he has had wanderlust his whole life. And uh, he was supposed to leave for this you know, world adventure that he'd been planning every year for his birthday. He asked for a new map or atlas or globe. Um, And uh, so we're praying that the right things happen and Hirsch will come home to us and we will get him the help he needs. The, you know, he's going to need a lot of uh, therapy from not just losing an arm, but the trauma that he's gone through. And uh, one day we pray to God that he will travel the world because you know what? You don't need two arms to go fly around the world. Well, I pray for the same thing. I really do. I um, I love you guys. I've never met you, but I feel like I know you. So to you and John and Hirsch, I look forward to the day when he is home and he does make that trip. And I talk to you the day he leaves and the day he returns. Do I have a deal? Amen. 
All right. Amen. And I'll have him on too. And we really appreciate your love and support. We feel it. We feel it from everyone who has reached out to us. We, we feel very blessed and lucky to have America with us and, you know, the Jewish community, but really the Christian community has been so vocal and loving to us and, and it matters and it makes a difference. It makes it so we can breathe in our world without air. Totally agree. I feel the same way. Uh, Rachel, best of luck again to you, John and Hirsch, and, you know, keep plugging away. I do believe there'll be a happy ending here, and, and hopefully that comes sooner than later. God bless you. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you. All Have right, Rachel. Uh, you too. Take care. There she is, the mom of hostage, Hirsch Goldberg, the very courageous Rachel Goldberg. Let me take a short break. I'll come right back. crash into me. Hike up your skirt a little more and show the world to me. That's right there with Rod Stewart's Tonight's the Night. Spread your legs and let me come inside. Dave Matthews, happy birthday. How was that? Uh, Noam, first of all, thank you. Noam Layden set up that conversation last segment with Rachel Goldberg, live from Israel. and Well, it was just one of the most... I've been doing this now for 25 years. I've They've written books about me, and I've, I've worked at all the major, major, major stations. I've spoken to presidents, athletes, celebrities, you name it, but man, was that difficult, and she was great, great. So thank you very much, Noam. You did a great job. I mean, it's, you know, I, you don't know how to ask somebody questions when they're in such a horrible place, but you did a great job. Thank you. Well, I think it's got to be heartfelt, that's all. They can, they can 
sense the sincerity or lack of right away. And um, like my wife said, uh, Danielle, a couple of moments ago, she said it's um, it's unfathomable how any parent can go through that. So we wish uh, them good luck. I think Mozzie Pillip is Israeli, too. Isn't that right? She is. She's Ethiopian originally and then no. Israeli and now American. We're going to talk to Mozzie coming up next. She's running against uh, that creep Tom Swazi, who I used to be a fan of, by the way. I like Tom, but he revealed himself, exposed himself to be a lion jerk-off with me and Bernard. And uh, Cairo and Peter King, they all love this Mozzie lady, so... We're going we're gonna to endorse her and talk to her coming up momentarily. Don't forget, this show today I did dedicate to my dear friend who passed away last night. I got about 90 messages. I was already asleep. Bo Deedle and Joe Nunzi and um, Pat Russo and a host of others. That my dear friend, the former chief of police, Joe Esposito, had passed away. So we are dedicating this show to Joe Esposito today. We will talk to Mozzie Pillip coming up next. Oh, this is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Mozzie Pillip, I like this lady. You know, she um, served, she was in the IDF. So I just got a text from Long Island Congressman Anthony D'Esposito, first of all, telling me what a wonderful tribute I did to Joe Esposito all the way back at 6 a.m., but secondly, he said, and please be nice to Mozzie. Now, why would he say that? Why wouldn't I be nice? I mean, yeah, I like George Santos. He was on the show on Friday. He makes me laugh. But I want Mozzie to win, and I want Mozzie to win big. So here she is, our hope running against Tom Swazi in that special election coming up very soon, I believe the day before Valentine's Day. Mozzie Polip. Mozzie, good morning. Welcome to Sid and Friends in the Morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. I'm, I'm right about that. It, it is the day before Valentine's Day. Is that right? Yes. All right. <laughs> February the 13th. You know, mm-hmm. uh, before I get to you, maybe you were listening on hold, maybe you weren't. But before you came on, I had Rachel Goldberg on, and she is the mother of Hirsch Goldberg, and Hirsch was taken from the Nova Music Festival back on October the 7th by Hamas, and it blew his arm off. That's all been well publicized, and Rachel has done more speaking than any other parent of any other hostage since that date, and it was uh, 20 minutes of some of the most inspiring but difficult radio I've done in my 25-year career, and you being an Ethiopian Jew and serving in the IDF, I'd imagine if you did listen, you would feel the same way, yes? Absolutely. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, and three months passed, and still um, the mind is really have a difficult time to register what happened on October 7th, the vicious attack on Israel by a terrorist organization where babies were born, they burned, killed, um, a woman got raped and uh, innocent people, innocent people uh, killed viciously and uh, hostages, um, kids, babies. I mean, things that it's hard to even to imagine it. And this was done by a terrorist organization, um, Hamas, and uh, it's heartbreaking. 
It's really heartbreaking. Until now, I'm trying to, I'm questioning, you know, myself, what happened, how this happened, how, how somebody can do something like this and, and be proud yeah. by filming it and dancing yeah. around bodies. Yeah. That's true. They did do all of that, even some of the Palestinian civilians who I'm being told every day, for the most part, are good people. I don't know if that's the case. And then I watch these, these morons here in New York, Mozzie, who yesterday mm-hmm. blocked Four different entrances and exits, the Holland Tunnel, the Williamsburg Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, and uh, the Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, Kaz Daughtry is going to join me coming up at 9.15. Thank God the NYPD made over 330 arrests yesterday. Thank God they finally got to that stage. But could you imagine, Mozzie, that some of these young, stupid kids are out there protesting on behalf of people who committed those murders and atrocities? That, that is the sad part, you know, how come after, uh, you know, Israel being attacked viciously and babies were uh, burned and killed and women, you know, raped. And after all this, you know, the next day and you will see uh, uh, protesters uh, supporting Hamas and then distracting the American people by blocking bridges and highways and interfering uh, Christmas tree lighting, uh, Thanksgiving parade, attacking NYPD taking the American flag down? How dare? I'm asking myself, too, how dare we allow something like this in our country? It really is. The flags that so many soldiers died for. Every day they're dying. They're taking the American flags down. I don't know how this is happening. We should not allow something like this to take place. We should hold them accountable. We should draw the line. Well, I love what you're saying. One more on you, and then we'll get to the uh, the political uh, aspect of this conversation. You were, mm-hmm. I believe this is true, part of the elite paratrooper brigade with the idea. Is that true? <laughs> of course it's true, and I'm very proud. You know, I was 18 years old when I joined the paratrooper brigade, and uh, I was in charge of uh, all the weapons. Um, and uh, it's a year and nine months. I'm so proud that I was able to give back to the, to the country that really saved uh, my life in 1991 when I was 12 years old, uh, when Israel and United States came uh, and brought about 14,500 Ethiopian Jews uh, in the middle of the civil war. Uh, yes, I wanted to serve. I wanted to give back to the country, and it was the best time of my life. Well, for the first four minutes, Mazi, I love you. That's the good news. Now let's Thank get into the, <laughs> now let's get into the meat of this conversation. So okay. um, Santos, uh, they get rid of Santos, and I'm here to tell you I thought it was a mistake. I, I like George. He was on the show on Friday. He did some untoward things. There's no question about it. But I'm more worried about losing the House. And he's a Republican, and he votes for America, and he votes for Israel every time. But my dear friend Peter King, who's on this show every Wednesday, one of my closest friends, and John mm-hmm. Cairo and D'Esposito and others have, have guaranteed me, don't you worry, Sid, we're going to replace Santos with somebody who's great, and that person is going to win. And that person happens to be you, but here's the problem. Time and time mm-hmm. again, when I mention Mozzie Pillip, my fans, which are huge in numbers, huge, especially on Long Island, say to me, well, mm-hmm. she's a Democrat. She's a registered Democrat. And I have to try to explain to them, yes, but she votes with Republicans. And they're like, well, why doesn't she just register as a Republican? Those are the questions you have to answer right now because those are the worries and concerns of some of your constituents. 
Uh, you know what? I uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I spoke about this in different shows, but I will say that again here. When I moved to this country, yes, I did register as a Democrat, and uh, I was a Democrat. However, this party left me, left me like others. Um, and uh, within a few years, I realized the Republican Party is sharing my values. Uh, when I ran uh, as a county legislator, Chairman Cairo and the team knew I was I registered as a Democrat. But you know what? They really cared about uh, the candidate. And if you really see my voting record, you will see I am all about uh, law enforcement. I all, I, I'm all about talking, uh, tax cutting taxes, and now all about securing our borders and, and supporting our allied nation. That's the bottom line is I'm proud to continue to vote like a Republican. I am a Republican. It's a piece of paper. I can change it every, every really, I don't mind to do it. You know, I, I offer this. I'm just waiting for the Republican Party to give me the okay. Maybe I'm in the middle of the campaign, though they don't want me to do it right now. Maybe it's a technical issue, but I am willing to do that. I'm proud. Uh, to be uh, a Republican. I'm, I'm voting like Republican, the Republican Party sharing my values and uh, nothing to be concerned here. And, and I understand why people were questioning it. But let me tell you, you know how you're checking if somebody's really uh, uh, within your values, the way they, they're voting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you see my voting record, you will see that it's clearly no one really backing the way I back the, the blues. I was very vocal about this. And every opportunity I have, I will salute our law enforcement. And therefore, I was, when I was voting for the budget, I made sure to, to, to vote for, um, to increase uh, our law enforcement uh, policies. We, Bruce Blakeman and I increased by 200 uh, police officers in the last two years, something that never was done in the past few years. So I'm very proud to continue to support our law enforcement. And, uh, and I will continue to support our law enforcement, even in the national level. And let me tell you, you got some uh, fine. You mentioned Bruce Blakeman, the Nassau County Executive. Now we've got Ed Romaine in Suffolk County, another Republican. You've got uh, Pat Ryder, great police commissioner. I mentioned Peter King. He's retired, but not yeah. really. He's still the godfather. Uh, you got Joe Cairo. <laughs> and if those people think you're great and uh, talking to you and looking at your resume, you look great. I just think I think it's worth it's worth saying it again. If in fact, if in fact people are worried and it becomes an issue, you are willing to re-register as a Republican, yes? 100%. I I offered this in the past. I'm telling you this. I'm not here to tell uh, lies. It's not my position. I'm not a politician. What you see is what you're going to, you know, understand. I'm not here to just tell people vote for me. I'm a Republican. I vote like Republican. I, I share my values. Uh, with the Republican Party, I'm the mother of seven children. For me, safety comes first. For me, securing our borders comes first. For me, you know, uh, freezing taxes and helping the middle class families come first. So those are the issues I'm, you know, I care and American people really care. So let me ask you this, Mazi, as you wrap up this uh, conversation, and uh, you've been terrific on this show this morning. We are now about, um, well, we're getting close, getting to the second week of January, about a month away, a little less, a little more, I should say, than a month away from this election. And I know Tom Swazi very well. He was on this show a bunch. He was a friend of mine. And then, you know what he pulled? It was, it was really kind of grotesque. He came on the show with me and my late partner, Bernard. And he said that he agreed he liked Ron DeSantis' parental act down in Florida. And then a few of those Democrat henchmen got to him 
And then he came back a couple of days later and said, well, I guess it was inartful what I said with Sid and Bernie. And the truth is, is that the don't say gay bill doesn't work, which, by the way, as you know, the word gay is never said in that bill. So Swazi showed his true colors, which was he actually had principles as a parent that were impressive. And he changed it just because of the party right off the bat. That says to me, Mozzie, you're the better fit. But for you, what do Long Islanders need to hear that make you the better candidate? You know, I'm a mother of seven children. I'm doing this not because I, I want power. I'm not doing this because I love politics. It's not about this. I see this country has been a great country for me as a new immigrant, for my husband who was born in Ukraine and came to this country and he's a cardiologist. Uh, it has, this country has been a great country for me and my husband. I want, I, I want to give back. And right now, with the extreme policies that Biden and the squad member and Swazi are promoting in our countries, is really creating a lot of issues for us. And that's not right. We have to protect our Americans. You know, we have to make sure that our, our border is secure. We have, to, we have to make sure we have uh, uh, to improve our economy. We, we have to create safe environment for our children. I am worried the amount of drugs coming from the borders. Uh, you know, mother of seven children, I, who who promised me my kids would be okay? Mm. The fact that we are not supporting law enforcement, I am worried about their safety. So that's the reason why I'm running. I care about this country. I would like to give back to the country. Swazi has been there. Swazi created these issues, to be honest. When he was a county executive, he increased taxes by $200 million. And the border security right now, the way everything is open and migrants coming left and right, millions. He was there for six years. Now he's saying he's gonna, he would like to go back to fix. And I'm asking myself, what, what you are going to fix? You created this problem. Nobody's gonna believe that. You're right. No, you are right. You know, it's interesting. You, you know, you are, you have a background from Israel and your husband, I think you said, is from Ukraine. You guys get into fights at home. Who deserves money more from America, your country or his? Because I know, I mean, no, that that is a, a legitimate, yeah, was, that's a battle going on, as you know, in Congress and the was, Senate right now. You know, I know. And I will tell you this, okay? United States has been supporting Ukraine in the last year and a half, okay? Israel got into the war in the last three months. So right now, we we need to support Israel without condition, to be honest. A strong Israel, a strong United States. Israel is fighting a terrorist organization. Israel is fighting, you know what, to, 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 to give freedom for the Palestinian people that using the, the Hamas using them as human shield. Hamas doesn't care about the Palestinian people. Hamas doesn't care about the world, you know, the Middle, uh, uh, the Middle East. So strong Israel, strong America, this is our national interest uh, to, to support Israel. Israel is under war right now, and we have to give everything possible to make sure this war is going to end very soon uh, after completely destroying uh, Hamas. Hamas cannot longer continue to control uh, Gaza. Every answer you gave, I loved. I've been fighting with uh, your friend and my friend Peter King about Ukraine, and God knows what Zelensky's done with a bunch of that money and that whole country. That's the most corrupt country. And no disrespect to your husband, but my God, Israel needs the money. You are, you're terrific. I, uh, I'll bring you back on, obviously, but we hope you do win and win big come February the 13th. So thank you for coming on this morning, clearing up any of the issues that may be out there. And good luck to you, Mozzie. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right. You're welcome, sir. I'll take care. That's Mozzie Pillip. And she's running against Tom Swazi for George Santos' seat in that special election. 
coming up Feb 13th. She's like, give Israel the money. Enough of Ukraine. Oh, baby. Man, are you right. All right, two hours in the books. Big 8 o'clock hour coming up. Rudy Giuliani, Joe Beningo, and our tribute to the late, great Joe Esposito. God rest his soul. He passed away last night. Continues our three of Sid and Friends in the morning. When all is well and well is all for all, forever after. In the morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. Get them out. All those crazy nights when I cried myself to sleep. Now melodrama never makes me weep anymore. Cause I haven't got time for the pain. I got it. Holly Simon, oh, the pain. I haven't got time for the pain. Before you get to uh, Joe Beningo, don't forget, coming up, 9.30, Curtis Sleeve. Well, Curtis usually joins me at 7 a.m. every weekday morning, but because we had Rachel Goldberg on live from Israel today, talking about her son, Hirsch, who was taken hostage, his arm blown off at the Nova Music Festival back on October the 7th, and she's really been the face of this hostage crisis. She was on um, at 7 o'clock this morning, and it was gut-wrenching. Uh, by the way, Hamas has said this morning there'll be no more hostages released, none until all of the Palestinian hostages are released. Good luck with that. So Curtis has stories about my dear friend who died last night, former chief of police Joe Esposito. That one hurt. That one hurt a lot. And Moody will talk about him, too, I'm sure. So Curtis at 930, Cares Daughtry who is the assistant commissioner to the chief of the department, will join us at 9.15. They finally made a ton of arrests yesterday, these pro-Palestinian animals who are supporting murderers and rapists and baby killers. Congratulations, these assholes. They blocked everybody. Yesterday they blocked the, the Holland Tunnel, the Williamsburg Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge. Thank God the NYPD made over 330 arrests. We'll talk to Cash Daughtry coming up at 9.15. And, of course... The greatest mayor ever, Rudy Giuliani, coming up at 845. The worst mayor ever, Bill de Blasio, is going to be in this building today. He's going to do that uh, Suzanne Miller podcast, which I did on Monday. Good luck with that, Susie, baby. Uh, My next guest (laughs) is a legend. Just wrapped up another football season at WFAN, where he made weekly appearances with Evan Roberts and Tiki Barber. Does a Saturday show as well, but now I got him. Straight through the Super Bowl, the man, the great Joe Beningo. Joseph, good morning, buddy. How are you? Sydney Arthur. Happy New Year, bro. How you doing? What's going on, man? 
I'm doing great. Happy Haven't New Year. Got time for the pain. No yeah. pain. Well, I want freaking pain. I, I do know? want to play this for you, talking about the pain. Before we get to the NFL playoffs and all the drama that may have, I had right. Joe Theismann on the show yesterday. Joe and I have been very, very close friends for many years. Right. And we talked about Rivera getting fired and what's going to happen right. with blah, blah, blah. And um, he brought up quarterback play in the NFL. I want to play this for you and uh, get your thoughts on what he had to say, because he talked about the Jets. This is uh, two-time Super Bowl former Washington Redskins quarterback Joe Theismann from this show yesterday, Lewis, cut number 17. The question is, is who plays quarterback? Mm-hmm. You know, with the Jets. You know, I know, you know, Woody Johnson has said everybody's coming back. Well, you know, how long will Aaron go? You're gonna go. You're gonna go looking again. You know, uh, will Zach Wilson all of a sudden, uh, you know, and it maybe sits a year and, and something happens. But again, that cycle continues. We don't have enough quarterbacks. Sid. There aren't enough. There's 32 teams, and I think I think the number is somewhere in the 60s of quarterbacks that have started this year. He's right about that, but regardless of the of the rest of the quarterback statement, he started with Aaron Rodgers. Now, right now, mm-hmm. Rodgers is involved in this complete silliness with Jimmy Kimmel, which nobody outside of, like, Pat McAfee cares about. I mean, it's it's childish, it's sophomoric, it's stupid. Uh, we want Rodgers to come here and win football games. So what are your thoughts about the future of the quarterback position with the Jets? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I mean, to me, uh, the most important signing that they're going to make in the offseason is the veteran backup quarterback. And the biggest mistake Joe Douglas made last year, and I put it on him, was not signing one immediately after Rodgers went down four plays into the I, I agree with you, but do you think it's fair? Because you know how this uh, this game right. works, Joe. These these people all of a sudden become geniuses the day after. I didn't see anything, in all fairness, I didn't see anything from Joe Flacco with the Jets last year that would have led me to believe that he would be this good at 100 years old this year with the Cleveland Browns. Is it fair to pound Seller and the Jets on not re-signing Joe Flacco? Well, I mean, look, I, look, Flacco's on a much better team, and I think the Browns are legitimate, have a legitimate shot to get to the Super Bowl. I know they're going to really? have to do it all on the road, but I think they got they got a big time defense. Uh, you know, I mean, it hurts them that they don't have Nick Chubb, but you know they got some big, you know, Njoku, Amari Cooper. They're a dangerous team, the Browns. There's no doubt about it. With that said, they're just better. I mean, the Jets were not a good team, but it was it, it, it could have been anybody. Said Joe Flacco. Tyrod Taylor, Jacoby Brissett, Gardner Minshew, uh, Carson Wentz. They could have signed one of these guys. And, you know, I, 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 I venture to say if they would have had one of these guys as the backup quarterback, they probably would have won a couple more games. Who knows? Maybe at least they would have been playing meaningful football down the stretch of the season, you know? No, that's fair. But, you know, again, you're also the same guy that told me after that week one win over Buffalo that because – they can run the balls. They can. Brees Hall's great. He's not good. He's great. And the defense yeah, is pretty great. good. Yep. But they can win with Zach Wilson. Now, of course, now you know, of course, that was a silly statement. Right. Zach can't play in this well, league. Well, I mean, you know, look, I think at that point, I mean, I was just so jacked up after we won that game against Buffalo. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I was in delirium. I, mean, I was in one of those delirious moments that I occasionally get. To, you know what I mean? <laughs> so your, your big thing is the Jets, and you're right about this, 100%, got to get a veteran backup oh, behind right. Aaron Rodgers because we saw him get hurt four plays into last season. Do you feel like, though, the rest of this team, we just talked about Brees Hall on the defense, the rest of this team is good enough with good quarterback play to next year make the threat we thought they would make last August? 
Well, they got to fix the offensive line. I mean, there's no question. I mean, to me, that's the number one priority. The offensive line was a disaster. You know, they got Vera Tucker, but he gets hurt every year. The Senate McGovern got hurt. No doubt. They got to do something. To me, their first-round draft choice is probably got to be an offensive lineman. They picked 10th in the draft. Probably got to be an offensive lineman. They need another wide receiver opposite Garrett Wilson. I don't think there's any question about it. I think the defense is solid. I think you can win with the defense. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But they got to fix the offensive line. They got to get another wide receiver. And, you know, obviously the backup quarterback to me yeah. is a big deal. Uh, you just mentioned uh, the great legend uh, Joe Beningo here. The Jets have the number 10 pick in the draft. And he's right. The Giants have the number 6 pick. And yep. they beat the Eagles on Sunday. But they won seven games this year. And really it was a miserable season. I actually sat in the rain with both of my kids. My daughter Ava's going back to Europe tonight to go back to college. But I sat out there with Ava and, and uh, Gabriel and watched that ridiculous game against Dallas. And I came in on the air here the next day and said, that wasn't a one-time thing. We stink. I knew it, and we did stink. Even before Daniel Jones got hurt, he stunk. So the question is very simple. Big year for Dayball next year, year three. No one's going to care they beat the Eagles this year, week number 18. Do you believe it's a big year for Dayball? And secondly, do you think week one, Daniel Jones is the starting quarterback for the Giants? I'll be very surprised. They got the sixth pick in the draft. They only won six games, by the way, Sid, not seven. Oh, right. The Jets uh, won seven. That's the right. Giants. right. Uh, they got the sixth pick in the draft. I think they're taking a quarterback. Let's be honest. I mean, I know. But he may not play right away, though. If they take a quarterback, he may not play right away. They may. Right. You're probably right about that because they still owe Jones, you know, $40 million. It's a major cap hit if you let him go. You can't do that. But I think they're going to draft their guy. Look, Jones isn't their guy. So I think with the sixth pick in the draft, they're probably going to have one of the big quarterbacks still there. Uh, we'll see. I don't know if Drake May or Caleb Williams will be there, but maybe they get the kid from LSU that won the Heisman Trophy. Daniels. Uh, I think they drafted a quarterback. I'll be very surprised if they didn't. If I they agree. don't, and they just took a big hit with Martindale leaving. I mean, you know, that's a big hit. He's a uh, yeah, but, that, but, we, but, 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 but we knew that that was well publicized right. that he hated right. Dayball the last eight weeks. Right. right. But he, he is a great defensive coordinator, and he is leaving, and, and that's the end of that. Uh, talking about uh, the Jets and the AFC East, your team, the Jets, I know how fired up you would get, uh, Joe, for a big Jet Patriot game on a Sunday, and a lot of that was Belichick, who stabbed your team in the back. He coached you for one day yeah, to right, go to New England right. and win seven, six Super Bowls. Uh, what are your thoughts on Belichick's future? If it's not in Boston, where could it be? What happens with Bill? I, I You know what? I'm still not 100% sold he's leaving because he's got, you know, they got the third pick in the draft. I mean, they're going to get a chance to draft a quarterback. Now, with that said, uh, they don't they have just did that. They did, by the way, they, they just did that with Mac Jones. How did that go? Well, he stinks. Mac Jones is terrible. I think, I think Nick Saban sold the bill of, uh, a bill of goods there with him, and he, he's, he's not any good. But they look, they're going to take a quarterback. They need one. And Billy Zappi certainly isn't the answer. But I, I think he's going to wind up in Washington, if you want my feeling. That's really? That's going. Yeah, that's me. I mean, I no, but, 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 but see, here's my Washington. But here's my thing. I was talking to Theismann yesterday, and of course, he is in Washington. He's very close right. with uh, both ownership groups, the old one, Schneider, and the new guys. And he said, "Look, he's going to go to a place where he's got a quarterback ready to play." Now, the Chargers are the leader in the clubhouse. Not a very yeah, good football they team. Got Herbert, they got right. Herbert, right? I mean, Sam Howell isn't that guy yet. No, but they're gonna. They got the second pick in the draft. They could draft a quarterback. Right. They're probably right. They, Caleb Williams is. I don't know what the Bears are gonna do with the first pick. 
Okay, I, I think Justin Fields. I think they're going to they're going to stay with him. He played real well down the stretch of the season. They're not firing the coach there, Ibafus. And I think the Bears might wind up either trading out of that first pick or drafting Marvin Harrison, which is what I would do. So I think that the the the, uh, the uh, Commanders <laughs> will have the. Uh, they will have the uh, pick of the litter of quarterbacks, so okay. I wouldn't be shocked if Bill goes there. I can't see him in L.A. Can you see Bill in L.A.? I could. You know, he's got that condo down in South Florida with Bill Parcells. He's getting right, older. I right. think I think he's sick of coaching in the snow and the cold and his see. stupid sweatshirts. And to go right. out with the nicest climate in the world and get paid a lot of money with a kid who's a pretty good quarterback, I can see him doing that. Uh, yeah. But anyway, we'll I, I do want to get to the uh, the games at hand. We've got yep. two on Saturday, three on Sunday, and one on Monday night, the Eagles and the Bucks. Now, of course, the chalk are the two teams not playing this weekend, the one seed in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens, and the one seed in the NFC, the 49ers. But certainly down the stretch, the Dallas Cowboys made a lot of people notice uh, inside the, the NFC. The AFC, uh, not so much. Everybody kind of limped into the playoffs except for Buffalo. Any of these teams you like outside of the chalk to make it to the Super Bowl? I like the Browns, bro. I just said you really do. I know you said it, but you really do, huh? Yeah, I do. I think Cleveland's got a big time defense. They got maybe the best defense of of, of anybody. I know the Ravens got a good defense too, but I, I like Cleveland a lot. I think they're going to go into Houston and beat the Texans uh, in the first round, and that's probably if everything goes to oil, that probably sets up the the uh, Browns Ravens in the divisional round, which to me would be as 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 sexy a game as you could have. Joe Flacco going up against his old team in Baltimore, uh, you know, the old Browns and the new Browns, uh, I, I, I think that would be tremendous. I, I really give Cleveland a shot, bro. I really do. And what's, uh, what about the NFC? Any of those other dark horse teams you like? You know what? I got to see the Cowboys do it. I think they'll beat the Packers. I think that's a big game for Mike McCarthy to beat his old team, you know, in the first round. Um, I, you know what? I... As much as I'd love to see a Lions-Browns Super Bowl, how good would that be? Two teams that have never been there, that would be great. It would be horrible. But I think the <laughs> It would be horrible with the NFL. Lions and Browns, are you nuts? How good would – come on. Come on. You wouldn't want to see that, Sid? Well, you know, you know what's funny about – what I just said What's funny about that. I made this – I try to explain it to the audience all the time because we're not doing sports here every day. Baseball right. is a regional sport. You know this, okay? So no question. If you live in New York, you're not watching the Padres and the Dodgers. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, football is a national sport. So yes. you could be a Jet fan or a Giant fan and still want to see Gop and the Lions take on the Browns. So there really is no such thing as a bad Super Bowl matchup, per se, because it's a national game compared to baseball where if you get the middle of the country involved you're basically dead so you're yeah. right that would be a nice matchup but it ain't gonna happen or is yeah. it now probably not but i'll tell you you gave me i'll give you a team i think the rams are dangerous bro me too i really do me i too. mean you know they won the super bowl a couple of years ago you know they're playing very good football right now matthew stafford's been really good this kid poor a rookie of the year the wide receiver had a ridiculous year their defense is starting to play well you know, I could see them knocking off the Lions in that first round. They're a dangerous team to the 49ers. Let's be honest. When I look at all these teams in the NFC and who I think has the best chance to knock off San Francisco, yeah. I think it's the Rams. No, I you're really right. And you, and you mentioned the possible second-round matchup, Flacco going against his old team, the Ravens. You got that in the yeah. first round with Stafford 
and Goff going against each yeah. other with the Rams and the Lions. So both of those yeah. guys played on those other teams. So it yeah, no uh, doubt. It, it makes for for an exciting uh, NFL postseason. I think it's going to be uh, a great postseason. We talked about uh, Belichick moving on. We talked about the uh, the local clubs. And now on the way out, Joe Beningo, before we get to Donald Trump, we must talk about the winter sports because maybe outside the Yanks, the two teams closest, especially hockey, to winning a championship here in New York are the Rangers. And I think the Knicks are third behind the Yanks. What about you? Well, I think uh, I might even put the Knicks ahead of the Yankees right now, to be honest with you. I think Jim Dolan has the two best teams in New York. How crazy. Think about that for a second, Sid. Jim Dolan at Madison Square Garden <laughs> sitting there with maybe the two best teams right now in the New York Metropolitan area. When, you, going, when, when you first saw the Knicks make that trade, and, and I love quickly, I go to a lot of Knicks games. Me and I that, didn't love it. Yeah, right. So I didn't love it either. I thought it was a horrible trade, but they're 4-0 and since they made yeah. that trade, and they're playing better defense, and for some reason, Randall's even playing better. How good could the Knicks be? I Look, I mean, I think outside of the two big teams in the East, they're the next team. Look, they've had trouble. Milwaukee and Boston, they've had trouble early in the year with them. I think they're one and six com- combined. They finally beat Milwaukee on Christmas Day. I was at that I game with Gabriel. That. I was there but, that day with Gabe and quickly had a big day that day. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know what? Look, they went into Philadelphia and they blew. Because I think the, I think Philadelphia is very overrated. I think Joel Embiid is extremely overrated. They went into Philadelphia and blew the doors off the, uh, uh, the 76ers. I think they're the third best team in the East. I really do. I mean, I don't, I don't know how far they can go. I think they'll definitely win a round in the playoffs, and then we'll see what happens from there. But right now, I think the only two teams better are Milwaukee and uh, Boston. Yeah, but is there any team, and maybe you can include Boston again, how about those uh, Celtics and Bruins, better than the Rangers? I tell you, they lost. The, the one thing I'm a little worried about with the Rangers, okay, I mean, they, look, they, they're off to a great start. There's no doubt about it. Panarin's having an MVP-type year. Uh, you know, they got a lot of firepower. It's a Banajag, Kreider, Lafonier, Vincent Trocek's been terrific, no doubt. I'm a little worried. Defensively, I'm a little worried. I mean, Adam Fox is coming. He got hurt early in the year. I don't think he's 100% yet, uh, you know, uh, back to where he needs to be. I know Keandre Miller's really played well. I don't think she – right now, I don't think Shesterkin's playing his best hockey. He's I really not. Don't. I, I don't know. I, actually, I, actually, I, I, I think Jonathan Quick has been the better goaltender. Right. I agree with you. I think Quick has been better. I'm, I'm with you 100%, Sid. No doubt about it. All right, no so on the, on the way out, all this great sports talk, and this is why you go down as a legend. I say this all the time. The two most entertaining sports <laughs> talkies in history are Chris Russo and Joe Beningo. I mean that. Um, well, I appreciate that. But you have uh, matured. You've grown up. <laughs> <laughs> grown up. And now I'm you're watching. waiting to grow up. Dude. I'm 70 <laughs> years old. I'm still waiting to grow up. You know? <laughs> no, but on a serious note, now you're watching Fox News, which isn't great anymore, but fine. Uh, because Newsmax. I'm a big Newsmax oh, guy. Oh, there but... you go. Okay. even uh, Because you want. Donald Trump to win more than anything. Isn't that right, no, Joe? No question about it. No so so about does, it. does Chris, does Chris Olivero allow you to take a phone call on Donald Trump on the fan on Saturdays? Uh, you know, I try to avoid doing politics on the fan. But if it sneaks sports, in, bro. but if it sneaks in, because I got to tell you, when I was there, if somebody snuck in a phone call about politics, Chernoff and Spitz would run into the studio like the right. place was on fire. Would right. Chernoff allow, would, uh, would Olivero and, uh, what's, uh, uh, Eskin's kid allow you to, uh, to get one, uh, one quick note in about Donald Trump? Well, let's put it this way. Uh, I'm not sitting there doing politics. If somebody asks me a question, I think everybody knows where I'm at politically, okay? <laughs> There's no doubt I'm a big Trump guy. No question about it. I've said this before. This country 
right now is in major trouble. There's no doubt about it. And this country needs an enema. And the only one that can give it to him is Don. He's big Don. No doubt. Would you personally give Don an enema to make sure that he won? Sid, only you can come up with something as absurd as that comment. But but you know, but you know that I love you. You know that. But I I think you would do it. I would. Why not? Yeah, you know I love you, bro. I love you too. Hey, thank you for coming on this morning. You're always great. People love when you come on this show on this station. They know you're about the fan. That's old news. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. You were great today. Thank you. Sid, all the love. Say, say, Lou, tell Lou all the love, too. Lou, no, you all tell the love, him. Bro. Lou, um, Lou played that Cardi Simon song for you. All the love, all the pain for my man Joe. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That about sums it up. You know, if I ever write the book, Sid, maybe I'll have you do the forward, and that'll be the name of the book. All the love, all the pain. There you go. You should do that, all seriousness. Now and, I want some credit. And I would be one. offended if yeah, I didn't write worry. the hey, forward. Hey, don't worry. We'll get you in there. Okay. Don't worry. Just want to mention, that's it. <laughs> Thank you, Joseph. You're the man. There he is. Uh, the great Joe right, Beningo. Take care. we got to take a uh, short break. Boy, he's so good. That was fun. We'll talk to Rudy Giuliani, Kaz Daughtry, and Curtis Sliwa. Still to come. Keep it right here, sitting friends. On Tuesday. Calling Sunday. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. I just saw this gentleman at a restaurant in Sorrentino in my neighborhood where he actually danced with my daughter Ava, my son Gabriel. He's such a sweet, sweet man. Suffered his own tragic loss with the untimely death of his wife, Chris, and that is the former chief of police. What a super guy and a friend of me, Joe Esposito. Joe, how are you? Good. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? It was great to see you. You were great to my wife and my kids, and we love you, Joe Esposito. Thank you so much. Let's do it again. Have a great weekend.
Hands to Heaven tribute song to my friend Joe Esposito, whether it was hanging out with Joe at the Sorrentino at the time he got me in not that long ago to St. Patrick's Cathedral, sat next to him for that funeral for those slain officers in Harlem, Moya and Rivera, to the countless, countless text and phone conversations we had over the years. We lost a good buddy last night. That was a good man. He was uh, chief of police. He was a tough son of a bitch. But he was he was a sweet man. He was tough and sweet. And, you know, he went through uh, a lot of pain a couple of years ago when he lost his wife, Chris. He loved her. Told you, it was an odd day. He sent me a picture of his wife giving the finger to the doctor. I swear to God. Because <laughs> she was like that. She was beautiful and fiery. And she was dead like an hour later. They had no idea she had an aneurysm. And he uh, struggled, as we all would, of course. And he started to get back on his feet, and then he got sick. But when he got sick, he, he had the operations, did what he had to do, and was seemingly doing great. In fact, I remember Bernie Carrick coming on the show, and Keyshawn Sewell was stepping down as police commissioner and saying, what about Joe Esposito? And Joe was like, I'll take the job. And then he got sick again, and... He died last night, so. Rest in peace, Joe. We'll get traffic from Joe Nolan and talk to Rudy Giuliani coming up. Oy. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. Yeah, so I woke up this morning. I fell asleep about 9.30. I had Gabe's basketball game last night, and Ava's going back to college today, so that's got me all depressed. My daughter goes to school in Europe, and she's leaving me today for like five months. And my phone this morning had about 80 messages in. 
Everybody from Joey Nunes to Sal Cacatera to Pat Russo. And one of Joe Esposito's closest, if not his closest friend, is my dear friend Bo Deedle. In fact, um, I remember the first time I heard, well, not the first time, but one of the first times I heard Bo cry was when he found out about Joe Esposito's wife, that she had died. So, My next guest certainly knows a lot about Joe Esposito, the greatest mayor in the history of New York City and a star 3 p.m. every weekday on this station, my dear friend, Rudy Giuliani. Rudy, tough day for a lot of us who, who loved yeah. uh, Joe Esposito. Oh, come on. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. He was a good friend uh, to me, too, more than more than just, uh, you know, one of the best people in the department. He was a clo- close personal friend, and I remained very close to him right until the end. Um, talked all the time. Uh, tried to lure him out of the police department 50 times to come and work for Giuliani <laughs> Security. All his friends were there. Uh, loved his wife. We spent for the longest time. We spent every New Year's together because you know he used to patrol New Year's, and then I would go out with a bunch of the cops after a lot. So we got used to it. Then when we were in private practice, my company had a big party on Times Square. He would come all the time. Uh, he is the man who first notified me that the tower came down. I don't. I didn't know what he meant. I'm not sure he actually. He, he didn't know what he meant either. <laughs> he yelled out. We were we were in, trapped in a building. We were trapped together for a half hour. We could have died back then. And uh, I was in a room waiting for the vice president to come on the phone with um, uh, uh, with my police officers. And he was he was in the big room outside where they were. We just come in and we were setting up telephones. And all of a sudden, I hear somebody yell out, and it wasn't Bernie's voice. But I think Bernie was with me. He yells out, "The tower is down." The tower came down. Uh, take cover. Take cover. I see everybody outside go under the table. Now I see my table start shaking like an earthquake. I, I didn't process it right away. I thought he meant the top of the world. You know, the tower at the top. Remember yes. all those radio stuff up there? Yeah. I thought that had come down. It, it didn't occur to me that the whole building could come down at once. I, uh, implosions. I mean, our buildings used to come down piece by piece. And that is what uh, Chief Gancy had predicted. And then he took charge of everybody, got them underneath. Uh, our building at first was in, we thought it was going to come down because it was getting pelted. It was getting hit. And then we couldn't get out. And uh, he and Bernie and uh, Joe Dunn, that's one, two, three in the department, uh, helped me get us out and keep everybody calm. And uh, that's when I really first got very close to him because we were together every single day. Man was a man was everything you said and more. Um, about a forty-year career with the department, did everything, everything to, from undercover to, you know, chief of a borough and uh, early stages on the front lines with Comstat and crime reduction. You know, one of the eight or ten people most responsible for that program in the department. Then he, ta- then he takes over as chief of the department. Uh, right, B- Bernie made him chief of the department. So really, I, I worked with him as chief of the department for, for about a year. But he was such an active cop. It seemed to me, from the very beginning, he was at every meeting. <laughs> and then he remained chief of the department for, the, for a record. You know, no one's held that position uh, longer because uh, Mike and, uh, and, uh, and Ray held on to him. Yep. Yeah, you know, and for dear life, I, I, I'm put, put Ray Kelly on, and I mean, he was like his right arm. 
And uh, he knew everything, could do everything. I'm thinking about uh, the people on the bridge. Last time I talked to him, he was very ill. And he basically said, you, you know, Mayor, this would never have even, they, they wouldn't have even thought of, of this under us. I would have taken the idea out of their mind. You know that. Oh, I know. I said, Joe, I said, Joe, <laughs> that this and about a thousand other things. You know, no, about a thousand. Right. Yeah. No, I know. Remarkably, I did also point out a remarkably nice man. Yes. That was, and that was he, what, he see, for me, wife. for me, Rudy, and I didn't know Joe. And by the way, when Rudy keeps saying Bernie, not to confuse the audience, with my late great well, partner, Bernie Carrick, Bernie Carrick yeah, uh, who was the police commissioner. Um, for me, I didn't, I don't know him nearly as long as you do, but it always struck me. You know, I had um, Rachel Goldberg on this morning at seven o'clock, and her son Hirsch is uh, one of the hostages, and she's been really the face of the hostage crisis. You know, her son was at the music festival; his arm got blown off. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. And I said to her, I said, what, what struck me first was your courage. And I'm using the same terminology again. But what struck me first about Joe, knowing what a tough guy he was, was how sweet he was. For example, my son, Gabriel, who's got dyspraxia, and my daughter, Ava, were at a local Italian restaurant not that long ago, maybe two years ago. And uh, he was there with the judge, Patricia Domingo from TV, you know, and, and uh, the Monsignor. And he was dancing with my kids in an effort to get them, I swear, because they were too nervous to get up and dance. Joe Esposito, with his long white hair, grabs my kids and literally makes them start to dance, Rudy. This is the chief of police. It was beautiful to watch. Yeah, a beautiful man. I mean, when you talk about policemen, I'd like, I would like for people to know Joe, how complex they are. I mean, Joe is exceptional. I'm not going to say every cop is like Joe. Not every cop could have been chief of the department. But there are a lot more cops like like Joe. I mean, they are cops for a reason. Usually, it's because they have this desire to help people, and uh, that's why I always felt. You know, I, I worked for the NAP Commission, so you know, I started my career putting cops in prison, and <laughs> I had uncles who were police officers, yeah. and it was it was hard for me. It was really hard. I mean, I used to stay up at nights after I convicted them and think about, oh my God, they have to go to jail. And, uh, but they were selling drugs. What could I do, right? Uh, but these are complex people. They're doing a complex job. Yeah. You got to pass an exam that means you're smarter than average. And then, to, you know, for Joe to get where he was, he also passed the sergeant's exam, the lieutenant's exam, and the captain's exam. Mm. Now we're starting to talk about a guy who could have a master's degree or a doctorate if he wanted. Right. He passed every exam. Uh, he, he, but even if they, some of them talk New York, they're they get up to that rank. They're very smart people and kind. And uh, he handled September 11. He walked right. He was right there. He was right around the corner when, when the building uh, got hit. He walked right. He was right in the middle of it. Hmm. He could describe the whole thing to me. I mean, in detail, hmm. it was very valuable because basically it was an, the first right after the first hit, he saw everything. Hmm. He's going to be then, missed. Uh, was, yeah. He was in that position one year. So yep. was Bernie. Yep. Joe Dunn had 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 a lot of experience, management experience. The three of them together. Mm. I mean, I hate to say this because I had Bratton and Howard Safer, who just passed, also another great guy. But that might have been my best team. That was your best team. That, that was balance that, of talent. And, that was it. And, and I think God was good because it, it happened when I needed it the most. Yep.
True. Uh, this is the great Rudy Giuliani, best mayor ever, 3 o'clock every week. They got about four minutes, and I do want to spend time. And again, we both uh, wish our good friend uh, Joe Esposito to rest in peace. Uh, Georgia, because I know Trump is in court today watching the appeal process, but how about this new story, Rudy, which makes my heart warm? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, about the, yeah, the Fulton County DA, this lowlife, this Fannie Willis, banging the special prosecutor. I only hope to God it's true, and if it's true, does that not mean an end to the whole case? It should. It should mean that he and she should be sitting in jail, not not Trump and, and me. Right. Uh, uh, the the, the uh, you know I I got questioned by that guy. Uh, I mean, this idea that I I didn't get questioned is ridiculous. I got questioned. The only things I didn't answer were attorney-client privilege, and then and then on certain areas, uh, uh, the president decided to uh, to. Uh, to relieve me of that so that I could testify. Because, frankly, if I if I told people everything I know, including the secret conversations that Trump and I had, he's, he's completely innocent. <laughs> right? uh, so the, the guy was a strange appointment. My, my lawyer, Bob Costello, went and looked up this record. He wasn't a trial lawyer. He wasn't a prosecutor. He was like a corporate lawyer. When he questioned me for about four hours, he was stumbling most of the time. I mean, he... he Lawyers who are not trial lawyers don't know how to ask questions. True. And I could tell immediately, you know, I, I said to Bob afterwards, this guy's not going to try the case. He took all over himself. So he was a strange appointment. He came, Let's say he came out of left field, you know. So that, that number one, is uh, suspicious. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's true or not. I do know she's a, a horrible human being. Yes, agreed. Uh, Horrible. And, uh, she had absolutely. Hard. I mean, it was, yeah. she came up to Washington and collected her, her bribe money. <laughs> who, who, who donates money to Fulton County DA's office in Please. you know, in in the state of Washington or right? They pulled it all. The Democratic crooks pulled it all together for her, and they did two, two big fundraisers for it. She walked away with a fortune so she could run for DA again, and maybe figure out some other Trump person she can go after. <laughs> also, the case is a joke. This is a woman who returned an indictment. And then she went, oh, I never had the grand jury vote. Hmm, I better take that back. Hmm. And she took it back and returned the same indictment, which tells you the grand jury meant nothing, right? Right, right. <laughs> it's the same before right. and after. Right. In, a, in, any, in any honest place, it would have been dismissed. Yep. And she'd have been disciplined. But, uh, you, but the right uh, word you used there was honest, and she's not, and they're not. So in the final 60 seconds, Rudy, I do hope this turns out to go well for you and Trump, who are undeservedly and unfairly persecuted every day. Such nonsense. A great man like you. In the final 60 seconds, I'll go back to Joe Esposito for a second. He was 73 years old, and I just got a text from our mutual friend Bo Deedle, and you talked an awful lot just now about what he did in and around 9-11, and Bo's contention is is that Joe Esposito died from a 9-11 illness. Is that true? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. I, think he, I think he started to feel the impact of it. Oh, it goes back a while. I mean, this has been developing, and it doesn't end up being fatal for everyone, but I think his lungs were heavily affected. And, uh, I mean, you could, you, a, lot of, a lot of if you are affected by September 11 or not is, has to do with your genetic makeup, and more people are prone to it than others. So you could have somebody down there, you know, 50 days, and they don't get terribly affected. You can get somebody down there 50 days, and, and they die. Nice. And a lot of this stuff is deterioration of the lungs. So the, the problem begins 
relatively small, and then, you know, as you get older, it develops. Mm-hmm. But you never would have had the problem if it wasn't for 9-11. Right. And I think that's the category that Joe fits in. Horrible. Hey, uh, I love you so much, man. You know that. And you're so good on this uh, show. Every Thank God you're on today. Great New Year. This is going to be a great year, Sid. We're going to save our country this year. I hope you so. And I are going to feel it. You and I are going to feel a part of it for the stuff that we've been covering and, you know. Well, hopefully you and I will be. Hopefully you. Hopefully you and I will sit together at the inauguration in 2024, when, 25, when our guy is back. Unless I, unless I want to wear one of my funny hats and you don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it anyway. I love you, Rudy. Thank you so much. Right. I love you too. Bye. Take care. There he is, the great mayor. Three o'clock every weekday afternoon, right here on ABC. What a good day to have him, Rudy Giuliani. That wraps up hour three. Got a big hour four. Cash Daughtry. They finally arrested some of these pro-Palestinian lowlives yesterday. In fact, over 300 will talk to the assistant commissioner, Kaz Daughtry. And we'll talk to Curtis Sliwa, 9 o'clock hour next. I've got a stick drum all the time. I said I got a little woman and she won't be true. On Sunday morning when we go down to church, see the men folks standing in line. Say they come to pray to the Lord And when my little girl looks so fine And in the evening when the sun is sinking low Everybody's with the one they love I walk the town, keep searching all around Looking for my street corner girl I've got a warm, warm ball all day I've got a warm WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Right here, Dave Matthews at nine eighteen on your Tuesday morning. Been a fantastic show already. Rachel Goldberg joined us at the top of the seven o'clock hour live from Israel. Her son Hirsch was taken hostage at the Nova Music Festival back on October the seventh. You know the story. Had his arm blown off, and 
texted his mom, I love you, I'm sorry, and I have not heard from her since. So she was on very courageous and outstanding interview. Then we spoke to um, Mazi Palip, who's running against Tom Swazi out on Long Island, who said she's all too willing to re-register as a Republican. She said, yes, initially I registered as a Democrat when I came here, but I'm a Republican, and I'm going to win, and my, my values are Republican, I vote Republican. So Mazi was on at uh, 740. Joe Beningo, WFAN legend, 815. Moments ago, Rudy Giuliani. We'll talk to Curtis Sliwa, usually on at 7 o'clock at 930, because Goldberg was here. But I do want to talk to Kaz Daughtry. Kaz has been on once before. He was on right after the 5,000 large pro-Palestinian rally in Bay Ridge, not long after October 7th. Uh, Mike Kemper, my dear friend Mike Kemper, chief of transit, always recommends Kaz. Kaz? has a big job, assistant commissioner and the chief of staff to the chief of the department. And I want to talk to him specifically about all these arrests made yesterday, these animals. That's what I'll call them. Cass won't I will. They're animals, and they're stupid. And they blocked the Holland Tunnel and three bridges, the Williamsburg Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, and the Manhattan Bridge. My buddy Tom Kniff, the great lawyer representing uh, Daniel Penny, was stuck in traffic. We're sick of it. New Yorkers are sick of people who are protesting in defense of murderers ruining our streets. And thank God the police arrested 334 of these assholes yesterday. I actually texted the mayor this morning, Eric Adams, who haven't done ages, and told him, good job. So with that said, here's Kaz Daughtry. Kaz, good job on behalf of all New Yorkers. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Sid. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning to you. So what changed? Is it just that because they blocked, you know, bridges and stuff before, what changed that yesterday we saw 334 arrests? Hey, uh, before I get started, first I just want to take a, a moment to, uh, you know, to, to, to recognize uh, Chief General Joe Esposito. He passed away last night. Did, did you know him? I've, I've done a whole, basically a whole tribute yeah, show to I, Joe. Did I, you? I, knew, I knew Chief Esposito very well. Okay, good. Thank you for doing that. That means a lot. Thank you. We've done basically since 6 a.m. a whole tribute show to Joe today, and Rudy was just talking about him. So thank you for that, Cass. Thank you. Yes. No, no my pleasure. Thank, thank you for acknowledging him. He was a great man, and he's going to be in our – his family's in our thoughts and prayers uh, this morning. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I do mean that. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. All right, but uh, getting back to the, uh, the not-as-important stuff, which is the question, why yesterday 334 arrests? Well, you know, first of all, it was we made over 300 arrests. But when when we got we had information that they were planning on going to the airports and trying to disrupt uh, you know commuters from from uh, missing their flights or wanted to cause some sort of traffic congestion at the airport. And then they surprised us and uh, they they hit the uh, three bridges and the tunnels. And when we got the phone call, when I got the phone call, notified me to notify me that there was a protesters blocking the, you know, Brooklyn Bridge, Williamsburg Bridge, Manhattan Bridge, and the tunnels. I immediately got on the phone with the leadership, Chief Madry, uh, Police Commissioner, the First Deputy Commissioner, Chief Patrol, and it was very clear. Lock them up. We're not going to tolerate that. You know, New Yorkers should not have to wait that long for these individuals that are blocking the major arteries in the city, going to work, going to their job, you know, going wherever they're going, New Yorkers should not have to sit there and, and go through that. And it was it was a very clear message. Put them in jail. We did lock them up. We locked over 300 of them up. I think 90, 
90, uh, the Port Authority took maybe a little over 90, and we took the rest. Well, listen, as I said, on behalf of all New Yorkers, thank you. Um, I've been waiting for that moment, I, you know, to see these people locked up. I would just say, too, Kaz, you know, when it comes to that decision, and I'm not sure who makes it in the end, if it's you or Jeff or Eddie or, or Eric, uh, you know, when there are Jewish students, for example, holed up inside a library because they're scared to death to walk outside, uh, those people aren't blocking traffic, but they are, uh, you know, there's a terroristic threat, and I would lock those people up, too. Where do you... In other words, where do you come to the decision? Is it just as easy as, well, they're blocking a bridge, or are you, are you going to start to consider a lot of the other hateful and scary stuff these people are doing as possible crimes? Sid, I, I personally was on a Brooklyn Bridge, and, you know, when when the officers, when I got there, immediately I called the chief manager, I got the police commissioner on the phone again, and the message was very clear again. Kaz, let the incident commander know. They ought to start making arrests now. New Yorkers should not have to sit there and and and, and be inconvenienced by this. Yeah, but Kaz, what if they're and, not? And, but what if they're not just inconvenienced? What if I'm scared? What if, what if what if my kid is trying to go into the library at NYU or Cooper Union and a bunch of pro-Palestinians are threatening to kill him? I mean, I'm just asking you: Can we arrest those people at that point too, or is it just well if they're blocking bridges and tunnels? That's it. No, absolutely not. You know, we're gonna when it's inside of the school, we're gonna be guided by the. Uh, by the, the school administration, but if, if they want if they wanted an arrest, we would make an arrest also. So, so you guys, I love this. So you guys are basically like me and the rest of New York guys. You and Jeff Madry and Eddie Caban and Eric too, the mayor. You basically had enough. Uh, you know, I know that uh, there's nothing you can do. They have a legal right to walk the streets. I understand that, but it's becoming pretty clear to me and Kemper and the rest of you guys that you're losing your patience. Is that fair to say? I wouldn't say we're we're very patient, and you know what? This is New York City, and we want to protect the, the, the uh, New Yorkers and individuals. You know, First Amendment right to protest. That's fine, but when you start inconveniencing other people, said the gloves are off, and you are going to jail. That's the message that we that we want to send from the top down. We're not going to let people inconvenience and, uh, uh, everyday New Yorkers that's going about their lives. It's not happening, Sid. Those days are over. We're not going to have a city of lawlessness that is going on where you think you just do whatever you want to do in the city. When you start inconveniencing uh, New Yorkers, shutting down bridges, traffic backed up for hours, like that's not happening. You know, we, we apologize that you know that, that you had to sit in that traffic, and, and, and so New Yorkers that sat there and, and, and had to watch that and wait for us to get, you know, to get together as an agency and and to go there and, and to combat this. We wish we could have been a little faster, but believe me, the cops are moving as fast as they can. We're talking about over three hundred people that's arrested, Sid. I mean, this is it's a process here, and we're going to get better. We're going to get better as they decide to do it again. We're going to we're going to lock them up again. Oh my man, Kaz, I love it. Uh, so, what do you think? Uh, hard to predict this. I understand that because a lot of these losers have nothing else to do. You understand that, Kaz? It's not like they decided to protest yesterday and skip neurosurgery. You know what I mean? So they got nothing to do with these morons. But do you think it'll still serve as a deterrent for some moving forward? That hey, if you do this stuff, you're going to jail. So they didn't get a, they didn't get their usual get two tickets and they, they're walking out the back door of uh, our mass arrest process center, which we know them, which we call as MAPSI. They they were put through for a desk appearance ticket. They were put through as a regular arrest, but just not fingerprinted. And it took a little while. Normally they're used to getting two tickets and that's it. It's over. They're out the yep. door within an hour, an hour and a half. Right. They spent a little time in jail last night. Love that. 
Let me ask you, there's one story that uh, has bothered my wife and I at home, and you know how I feel about uh, the whole migrant situation, and this is probably not in your department, Kaz, but I'm curious anyway. The um, There was an 11-year-old uh, little boy migrant, uh, and he was found strangled to death with uh, shoelaces in the lobby. I know you know what story I'm talking about. Has there been any any movement on that story because... 99% of the time, most New Yorkers, and I'll include myself, I'm guilty of this. We're sick of the illegals. We're sick of the migrants. And, you know, they've been doing some some bad stuff, robbing stores in King's Plaza, walking into people's homes, knocking on people's doors. They become, at the very least, a nuisance. But nobody wants to see an 11-year-old little boy die. Any movement on that case? I Honestly, Sid, I, I, I have to look into that. And, um I can get you. Could definitely have me back on again, and I could talk about that. But I, I don't have the, the yeah. I figured that. Me, right? Well, I'm going to I'm, yeah. I'm going to want to bring you back if you can just uh, check out Kaz and talk to whoever would be in charge of that, and uh, give me an update on that because there's a lot of folks, believe it or not, that are asking me, and of course that's way above my pay grade. So I, I would uh, love to bring you back for that. Okay, so now I'm moving forward, Kaz. I think yesterday certainly sends a message from the police department that you're not going to do this. Uh, to our city, is there anything else uh, that you guys you know, I, I, change? I also forgot to I also forgot to mention, um, you know, by them blocking the major arteries, these these arteries into our city, these bridges and tunnels, it also affects public safety. It also puts people at risk: ambulances, firefighters, fire trucks. Try people try to get medical assistance, organ donations like uh, organ transports. It just puts people. It just you just you're affecting everybody. Agreed. And you just made the best point of all. I know the mayor, Eric Adams, said the same thing yesterday. It's not just people trying to get to work. I mean, God forbid, guys, you know, it's my dad in an ambulance who just had a heart attack. He ain't going to make it by the time these idiots get out of the way. So you just made a a great point, uh, just like the mayor did last night. Well, thank you again for coming on, Kaz. You're two for two, and Michael Kemper is right. You're a terrific guy. And uh, get back to me on that 11-year-old, but great work yesterday, and thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sid. All right, Kaz. Happy New Year, pal. You too, sir. Take care. Kaz Daughtry, the assistant commissioner to the chief of, he's the chief of staff for the uh, chief. So we got a lot of juice on this show. We talked to the big guns, evidenced by our next guest, Curtis Sliwa. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Dave Matthews. Happy birthday, Dave.
Suzanne Vega. My name is Luca. Curtis Lee, we're going to wrap up today's program. He'll be back at his regular time slot of 7.15 a.m. Coming up tomorrow morning. Don't forget this 9 o'clock hour these days brought to you by my dear friend, the great Pete Morgan, and the fine folks at Peerless Borders. It's getting cold outside. Good time to replace that beast in your basement with an American-made Peerless Boiler. PeerlessBoilers.com and tankless water heaters as well. They do build. America, excuse me, the world's best boilers. All right, Lewis, that's it. We'll take a short break. We want to get Curtis as much time as possible. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. All right. Jimmy Page. We did play Stairway to Heaven earlier in the program, part of our day-long tribute to Joe Estesito. Jimmy Page is 80 years old today, folks. 80. My God, Louis. What's going on, Louis? Almost dead. Before I get to Curtis, both MSNBC and CNN right now are all over the appeal arguments. President Trump is sitting in on these today in D.C., the three federal judges that are hearing these critical arguments on presidential immunity. It's hilarious. One of them is an African-American, African-American lady. The one in the middle that CNN is showing, Judge Florence Pan, that MSNBC loves her. She must hate Trump. She's an Asian lady. And the lady on the right that CNN is showing, Karen Henderson, I have no idea what her sexuality is. I can't tell you from the picture. I really can't. So um, it's like the old joke, black lady, Asian lady, and transgender walk into a bar. Good luck, Trump. I'm not sure if Henderson is a transgender. That's what Curtis thought, but that's only uh, an alleged observation from Curtis Slewa, who's usually here at 7.15 every morning, but is now gracing us late in the show because we had... Well, a heart-breaking interview with Rachel Goldberg earlier. Curtis, good morning, buddy. How are you? Not good. What's the matter now? Tell you what, uh, you were talking, who is that, Taz uh, from the NYPD? Taz Daughtry, I like that guy a lot. Do not malign Taz or Michael Kemper. Don't do it. He said something right out of the box. He's going to regret. We thought originally... The group of Hamas nutnik supporters yeah. were going to try to tie up the airport no, no, he, again. He didn't think that. He was given that information. Well, that's because they don't have undercover cops by now who are embedded in these groups. Is that true? Yes. Mm-hmm. They do not have. You know I have, too. I know you do. I have information that the NYPD doesn't have. You wouldn't even give me the names of these rats. No. Uh, first off, they were meeting in City Hall Park, and then they divided into four groups. One group went Brooklyn Bridge, one group went Manhattan Bridge, one group went uh, Williamsburg Bridge, one group went right to the Holland Tunnel, where the Port Authority moved quickly, made 120 arrests, 
They got them out of the way quick because they don't have to operate under a consent decree order that was signed by Eric Adams that prohibits the NYPD from being cops. That's why the Port Authority does it better. Not because they're better cops, but because they don't have a consent decree hanging over their head. Well, in all fairness to Kaz Daughtry, he did credit the Port Authority with over 90 arrests. 120. Oh, he was close. Let's give credit where credit is due, huh? Well, at least he mentioned them. Okay, but now let's move on to Chief Esposito, because you're talking about Bridges. He had a pimp slap Michael Bloomberg. You know, the billionaire mayor. All of a sudden, the radicals took over Zuccotti Park. The Trinity Church owned, right, Zuccotti Park. And Esposito, who was chief of police, the number two guy, chief of the NYPD, said, we got to clean them out. Was that, I was living in Boca at that point. I wasn't here for Bloomberg. I was here for Rudy. Uh, was that Occupy Wall Street? Yeah. Yes. 2011. Esposito yeah. was constantly telling Bloomberg, we got to clean them out. We got to clean them out. They were fornicating, copulating. They were urinating. <laughs> they were defecating. Their women were being raped. And Bloomberg did nothing. Nothing. nothing no. Until every day. Well, they, he didn't do nothing. He did uh, outlaw soda. <laughs> <laughs> and salt. And salt, Let's not yeah. forget salt. Yeah. But the point being is Esposito was on this, the mayor every day. And every day they would leave Occupy Wall Street and they go marching all over the city, just like they do now. And Esposito kept saying, we got to stop them. And then they threatened to take over the Brooklyn Bridge. And Esposito led the NYPD. You know how many arrests they made on the Brooklyn Bridge? 768. Real arrests, not disappearance tickets, uh, you know, violations where they put him through the system. That's the difference between Esposito and everything that goes on now. But is it also the difference? I look, I love what you're doing, and we can't say a knife, a nuts knife, enough nice things. And I'm glad you have a personal history with Joe because you have more history than I do. So that's great. But is that also the difference for as bad as Bloomberg was? Between the independent, slightly Republican at the time, I was gone completely crazy, but Mayor Bloomberg and the last two guys. I mean, we have this uh, Suzanne Miller, nice lady. I did her podcast on Monday. Did a very good job, by the way. She's very nice. She basically is in charge of John Katzmatidi's real estate. She does this podcast, and because real estate plays such a large part in the political world, she's been getting on politicians so she's had, uh, for example, uh, Cuomo on. She's had Eric Adams on. Today she's got on public enemy number one, Bill de Blasio. She just had you on. Just on Monday. So is it more a product of Joe Esposito, who was a hero, no question, or of the administration in charge that allows these guys, Curtis, to do their jobs? Is it both? Perfect point. Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who single-handedly destroyed the city that we love, and with his crooked wife, Charlene, stole $1.5 billion from a fake, phony, fugazi organization called Thrive that was supposed to help the emotionally disturbed. How did that work out, huh? He should be in jail. But you know what he did? A double disgrazia, double shanda. The OEM director, Joe Esposito, Office of Emergency Management, so they get hit with seven inches of snow. It's November 15th of 2018. Just seven inches of snow. I remember it well. That was the night uh, we actually won, me and Bernie, the very coveted Jack Newfield Award 
given out by Teddy Atlas, Hall of Fame boxing trainer at his huge event every year on Staten Island right before Thanksgiving. Long story short, I'm living on 104th and West End. I got to take the Lincoln Tunnel to get to Staten Island. Took us four hours just to get to the entrance of the tunnel. I had to turn around. I never got my award. Joe Esposito was on vacation. The Department of Office of Emergency Management is not responsible for snow removal. It was the Sanitation Commissioner, Kathy Garcia, who was an untouchable, who when she was asked, how come you didn't remove the snow from the tertiary streets yet, which are the side streets? She had no idea what tertiary streets no were. No idea. And, and she, correct, me, correct me if I'm wrong, but Joe Esposito was a the guy they blamed for it, right? Yes. Not only blamed for it. Then they call him in because Kathy Garcia was an untouchable. She couldn't do anything wrong. So here's Joe Esposito with all of his experience. 9-11, right? Dealing with Occupy Wall Street. I mean, the best of the best. And then they assign a deputy mayor named Anglin, a woman, to sit him down. And she says to him, you got a choice, Joe. You can resign or you're going to be fired. What? Yep. So he said, oh, and where's the mayor? What, he didn't grow a set? You know where he was? Vacationing with Bernie Sanders on that Lake Chesapeake where Bernie Sanders had his summer house, right? So they were swapping socialist tales, you know, the Altacaca Bernie Sanders. So Joe tells her, you tell the mayor he's going to fire me? He tells me to my face. So naturally the worst de Blasio didn't want to meet with Esposito. Esposito was a frightening tough kind of guy, a guy yeah, right? Tough guy. So he did everything to dodge it, everything to dodge it. Eventually, Joe Esposito was fired, and they brought in some person of no consequence who had, had done something in Massachusetts. So he became the fall guy. The fact that Kathy Garcia should not have been sanitation commissioner, didn't know what a tertiary street was, didn't know how to remove. It was only seven inches. We're not talking 20 inches, seven inches. She should have said, look, I made a mistake. You know, I'm going to learn from this because she was a rookie. She'd never been in a sanitation department. So who did they blame? A hero, Joe Esposito. And you know something? And they said, you called her a golden girl, Kathy Garcia. You got to go because you're a sexist. What? Oh, give me a they break. They had a whole program yeah. called the Golden yeah. Girls, remember? Yeah. Well, um, de Blasio's going to be here, I think, in the next couple of minutes. So um, let's just hope you and I don't walk into him on the way to the elevator. That's all right. Let's I mean... fumigate the place, huh? <laughs> yeah. So then, um, thank you for that uh, Joe Esposito stuff. I get this email last night, Curtis, and it reads like this. My name is Sal Calise. You know who that is? No. All right. He's the president of the Bergen Beach Civic Association. He said, I received numerous calls this morning regarding comments made by you and Curtis, who is all Curtis, by the way, on your talk show about Bergen Beach residents not wanting you guys at the civic meeting. This is not, not capitalized, the case. We were contacted by a woman who organizes the Stop Floyd Bennett Illegal Migrant Facebook page. She stated that Curtis would be attending our meeting. Protocol for a meeting is any guest speaker must clear it with us before showing up. We do this not to have a free-for-all and for the speaker to have enough time to speak and take questions. 
If you want to have a meeting to speak to the residents of Bergen Beach, please let me know. And Sid, I will make Curtis the only speaker Good. that night. Good. FYI, Bergen Beach is not a Democratic stronghold. There are Republicans Good. here, too. Thank you. So Sal is offering you to be the Sa- only Salvatore, speaker. Right, right. No, no. Obviously, they'll have their meeting tonight. Uh, I will follow the protocol. Uh, it's constructive criticism. So I apologize. You know, you rarely hear me apologize. What is going on with you lately? No, no. He's offering me the opportunity to apologize for 25 years lately. Are you dying? Uh, No, I have the, uh, as you called it, the scabies. (laughs) Now, nobody wants to meet with me. Poor Sal hears this. He goes, oh, my God, Curtis has scabies. Make sure he cannot come until he gets a doctor's letter that says he no longer has scabies. Well, in all seriousness, do you know what you have yet? I have the itch, and it's traveling everywhere, including my three-piece set. Um, really? Oh, man. You know yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. that's like. No, I don't. Thank Pulling God. your chain like every five seconds. Oh, Curtis. Uh, oh, I, I'm yeah, going to have yeah. a double hernia after this. <laughs> you, you're the one who called said that I had scabies. Well, I, when you have little red dots and you're itching like People, a, like a dog know, with I had fleas. a very important meeting yesterday, and they canceled because two of the women in the meeting said, I heard well, on Sid Rosenberg's <laughs> show that he had scabies. Well, you notice I didn't bring up the scabies just now. Now you did. You now, said it yesterday when you I said, know, oh, but, but, my, but my wonderful Sal- daughter happens to be in the lounge area. I hope she doesn't get that scabies that Curtis Lee were left behind. But Sal? was willing to make you the lone speaker. Now you just talked about the scabies again. No, because now that'll be their excuse not to have me until I have a doctor's note that says I'm cured. Johnny Tobacco says, and I quote, and you love Johnny, right? Yes. Maybe it's because he's wearing the same hat for 40 years. Well, he washed, you washed that hat, right? I thought, I thought he's my friend. No, I thought he's my rebel. Let me, let me, you have my no, rebel you, friend. You don't have any friends. It's not a hat, John. You it's don't a have, beret. You have, you have two friends in your whole life. Two. I'm not counting your children. God bless all of them. I love them. You have two friends, too. Nancy and Sid. Like the movie, Sid and Nancy. Everybody else, they're not your friends. Ah, uh, you mean they're... Uh... Let, let me put it this way. If you, God forbid, and I mean this, God forbid, died like Joe Esposito last night, they wouldn't even mention you. Now, let me mention one other thing. I heard you excellent <laughs> well, in interview York, they would, yeah. with the uh, Republican candidate for the 3rd District, Mazie. Yeah. Mazie. Mazie. She would sign tomorrow That's to right. change over. That's correct. She could do that. So why won't Cairo She's and King let busy. her do that? Are you calling her a liar? No, she will do it. She right. said on your show. Right. She said Nassau County hasn't given her the paperwork. Well, let me ask you this. You're right, okay? She said she was going to do it. If Cairo and King and these guys are sick of hearing about it, they let can her... do it today. So what do you think the, the issue is? Because they can raise more money with her being a Democrat in Washington, D.C. Say, look at what we got. We got a Democrat who is black, who is Ethiopian, who's a Jew, who served in the IDF, uh, who's got seven children, who, who says the, the, the Democrats are no good. Let's keep her a Democrat and run her on the Republican line. And they'll be throwing millions of dollars at him. Interesting. This is all about raising money. But you got an answer from her, the candidate. She's willing to sign the papers today. You heard her. She did say that more than once, twice. I made her repeat it. Look, the Board of Elections has the papers. All Peter King has to do is get on his high horse, get over to Margie, wherever she is today, and have her sign the papers. She'll be a Republican. And you're saying, boy, this is another great comment. Folks, if you're listening now, and you don't listen 7 o'clock every morning, now you see what you're missing. You're saying that this is not an accident. 
that it is being done purposely because it means more money. More money. Because this is wow. what this race is all about. You know what? Santos should have continued on. He would have been washed out. But consultants get to make $10 million on both sides. Then there'll be a primary in late June. They'll be making millions more. Then the general election, when all is said and done, said both sides together will have raised $50 million. And you know who that would have gone to? The Nassau County GOP and the Nassau County Democrats and all their friends and consultants. She's willing to convert today. I have a Democrat in Corona who's going to run for the assembly there. He's got till February 15th to convert. She can convert today. I'm converting my guy this week. How come you can't convert her, Cairo and Peter King, huh? Very good question. Curtis Sliwa, folks. That's what you get every morning at 7.15. He's also coming up at noon with the highly rated Rip and Reed. Don't miss out the great Curtis Sliwa. Johnny Tobacco, by the way, says, I'm only kidding. I love Curtis. You already know that. He's part of those rebels. Great job today by Lou Rufino. Justin Alec, a gnome laden, came up big with Rachel Goldberg this morning. Great job on the news. We are done. Brian Kilmeade is coming up next. As my dear friend Gene says, God willing, we'll be back for a 6 a.m. Wednesday show tomorrow. Until then, from all of us to all of you, happy birthday, Jimmy Page. Peace.